I think I think part of the problem actually goes back to what you said a minute ago, Scott, which is we we, we tend to all think about connectivity, mm. but but really in in the consumer market, what the consumers are thinking about is okay, so what's the experience? Yeah, the connectivity is just what's making that that happen, and and, and that but we all tend to write about you know the. The, the, the bits and bytes, right, and the and the and the, the traffic, whereas that's not relevant yep. to the people that are actually paying the bills or yep. maybe increasing their bills. I mean Hello and welcome to another telecoms.com podcast. Ian, I feel a little bit delicate today because we're out with the CC Group's traditional pre-Mobile World Congress <laughs> drinks. And um, I got home about one thirty in the morning. Yeah. Um, so Did you get a taxi then? No, we managed to get a train. But then um, I think Andrew got the train back with me, but it didn't go all the way to his place. So he had to get an Uber after that. But it right. presumably only cost him sort of 10, 20 quid or something. Anyway. And um, yeah, before I go off on, on one of my tangents, TM, um, I should say that we've got our first very special guest of the year, and he is very special, a long-time listener mm-hmm. and long-time um, someone that we've both known for ages, mm-hmm. Charlie Ashton from Napatek. Thanks a lot for coming on, Charlie. You're welcome. Well, thanks a lot. I've been looking forward to maybe one day getting an invitation. I know. It's been long overdue. It's great to be here. <laughs> <laughs> so you've used the T word already. Yeah. Well, we're, we're, that's why I said tangent about. TM. I was kind of being self-deprecating <laughs> self, um, yeah. there. Um what was I going to say? Yeah, actually, and we should, before we go into any other stuff, we should say that Charlie's done very well on the bribes. Um, first up, we've got some chockies here, Enstrom. Mm-hmm. So Charlie's, uh, he's, you've got mid-Atlantic accent, but you lived in the States for ages, haven't you? Oh, been a long time, But, yeah. but you are English yeah, originally. Absolutely, I'm a proud, um, a proud Yorkshireman. Yeah. Proud Yorkshireman. Um, but, so you've brought stuff over from the States. This is Enstrom. Toffee and confectionery, Ooh, as yeah. if toffee is not confectionery. Mm. Is that a separate ca- category all to itself? Assorted chocolates, milk and dark chocolate. Let's have a little butchers. Can I have one? Oh, it looks Ooh, very they nice. Look nice. So it's good as well. I should tell you the story about why I brought. Yeah, go ahead, you know, mate. Because I think sure. it, it's, e- it's it's easier to get bribe of the week, right? But I want I want bribe of the month. <laughs> yeah. So um, I also brought some beers, as as we're going to find out in a minute. Well, do you know what? I mean, you needn't oh, have tried please. because. You're the only guest we've got in January, so you've won Bribe of the Month just by bringing a packet of crisps. Well, we'll but anyway. Give, we'll give them back then. <laughs> um, so the beers that I brought are from you know, very, yeah, yeah. various various microbreweries from throughout Colorado, throughout the whole state. Um, but the, the city that I live in, um, Grand Junction, is actually famous for this company, Enstrom's, which is pretty widely known, certainly in the U.S., as having great toffee and great chocolate. So first I was going to bring toffee. But then I'm thinking, you know, we're going to be on a podcast. We're going to be talking. It could be really amusing for somebody to, you know, have a nice bite of toffee right before they're supposed to be yeah. talking. But maybe it's a little stop throwing questions at Ian. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe it's uh, maybe it's a bit safer to bring chocolate. So anyway, that's why I brought the chocolate. Well, so well so talking about it, is you, you've really, really outdone yourself. You brought you, you brought all these over from the states in a cooler, um, and I'm. I think they're all different ones. But I'll get. Oh, and then they are still nice and cold. Actually, they, they, they should be. It's, I could save myself a quid on that ice. Um, Those chocolates are really good, by the way. I can't believe it in one, one bite. Me? Yeah. That's got, got to be done. Oh, wow, they're really, they're big daddy cans. Look at this. Oh, yeah. mm. oh, what, wow. What is that? That is. Um, That's even taller than. It is. It's, we, we get 440 mils. 500? 7% alcohol. Why do, pe- why do people keep doing this to us? 
because it's going to make the the conversation much more uh, interesting when Maybe we talk about all these boring telecoms. Don't even say topics. what the volume is. Have you had it's a beer today already? Yanks aren't bothered about putting the volume on the tin. Um, no, I haven't had a beer yet. So this is this is just one. This one's called Juice Drop Hazy IPA, and it's seven percent. Breckenridge Brewery. Mm-hmm. Are these all Breckenridge? No, they're they're from all over Colorado. You have me at eight. Hazy IPA. Look at the state of this. <laughs> Upslope, double West Coast style IPA, nine fucking percent. What's going on, Charlie? <laughs> the seven percent one's the, the, the weakest one. I know, I've got I'll a good one. I'm, I'm pretty sure you told you told me bring some interesting beers. They're certainly interesting, mate. Oh, they do fluid ounces. So these are this is nineteen point two fluid ounces, which means nothing. to I thought me. you were going to say nineteen point two percent. That's like a pint and a bit. It's yeah. good for you. Five point three percent. I might have that. Yeah. This is a uh, ninety shilling. Ale. Have you taken the only one that's below seven? Well, no, there's loads in here, mate. He's brought 12. Blimey. And they're all different. Yeah. Uh, we got Car Camper Hazy Pale Ale um, from the Canned by Great Divide Brewing Company, Denver, Colorado. Well, that's only 5%, so I might have a start. Well, Charlie, do you want a beer? Absolutely. Why don't you? Well, you know so them. I would, you, I'm going to have... Which one you, you got to have the 9% one. I'm going to have... Wait, wait, wait Charlie should have one of the UK ones, because he doesn't get those. No? Well, it's, <laughs> it's up to him. But, I mean, yeah. these are here and they're cold. Yeah, right, yeah. Ch- Charlie and I have already been to the pub, but we didn't actually have a beer, though. Of course not. No. Well, so, I, so I'm going like to have, the, I'm gonna have right? the Avalanche Amber, because that, that's my favourite. i Car Camper, because it's only 5%. You pick one, Neil. Thanks very much. Have you left the 7% ones to me? Have a little look. Um, this one is... I can't see anymore. <laughs> so what, while Ian's, trying, while Ian's trying to read the... While he's trying to read the small print, actually, my wife Janice gets a lot of credit for the beers being all different and being cold and being in one piece because it's actually really hard... When Thanks, you go, Janice. When, yeah, when you go to the liquor store, it's really hard to buy single cans of beer. Right. Those like six packs or four yeah, yeah. packs. But she found a liquor store that sells right. sells these. And then she figured out how to get that little cooler with the nice handle on that I could take on the plane. Um, cool. And finally she figured out how to get a strap to put around it no. so it's not going to you know fall apart when the baggage handlers are throwing well, it around. Well, thank you very much, Charlie, for this making is, such uh, a big effort. This is a large You definitely get bribed a month. Do you have one of the regular ones that you brought? Do you have... Oh, no, I didn't bring any. Okay. Uh, because I, because I knew we had some spare... Do you want one of these? Do you want one of these? Yeah, like, yeah I think that's lethal. There's only 9% ones. Really? Yeah. This one's four and a half. But let's say, it's a lager. Let's say peach lager. wheat. What is that? Yeah, that's good for him. Let's see what the damage is on that one. It doesn't even tell you. If you have to ask, you can't handle it. It doesn't seem to say what alcohol it is. Well, let's roll the dice. <laughs> yeah, do you want to give it a go? It must have, it must have it somewhere. No, it says 19.2 fluid ounces. Maybe that's the percentage. <laughs> Just, you see if you can it, find it, the... It'll be fine. I've, I've drunk that and driven home a little bit, <laughs> a, a little bit occasionally, slowly. You, you, you realise we're recording, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> cool. Colorado State Police will be listening to their telecoms.com podcast. Yeah, I don't think they're big subscribers. Coming out. No, yeah. probably Well, let's, uh, let's crack them open anyway. All right. It's interesting. Uh, Is that even legal that they're not showing the... It doesn't seem to be there, does it? I'd, I'd worry about that if it's not on there, by the way. Cheers. Okay, cheers. Yeah. Cheers. Oh, that's a, nice. Have you won at last, it's, Charlie? It's, it's great to be here. I, you know, didn't this podcast actually start back in like 2016 with something called so that, Wireless Week or something or other? Seems well, like it's been no, a long No, we used time. to... Um, Week my, Wireless. Yeah. Well, my predecessor... Um, oh, there it is at the top. 5.3. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> You're going to live. 
Um, my predecessor used to do a weekly sort of satirical or like tongue-in-cheek yeah. news roundup called A Week in Wireless. That's it, that's it. Um, but we started doing this party. It couldn't have been that much um, longer after um, Informer Acquired Light Reading. So yeah. I think it was in 2016. Wasn't it, um, it was 2017 we rebooted. Okay, fine. It was, uh, I can't remember his name now, who instituted it. Tim Skinner. Tim Skinner, yeah. yes. Yeah. Before yeah. you went to work for Time Out. Yeah, and um, I'm not sure what he's doing. He's still living in Dubai, I think. Right. Um, but it, I, I think last time I heard from him, is everything's going well. I think he was even doing something with the Beeb or something. Well, he, uh, he went into becoming a fitness trainer. As that well. as well, yeah. He, he seemed to be doing various things. but um, Yeah, hasn't he got a LinkedIn profile with him on, a, on like a Peloton or something? He went from looking, being looking a sort of keen. normal looking guy to looking super shredded and everything. Buff, and then yeah. the next thing you knew, he was a, a fitness trainer. So, Blimey. So, no, uh, yeah. That's personal fitness trainer. Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure I've been listening to it for a long time. It's kind of my regular Monday routine, right? Because, cool. you, know, you know, I'm a big outdoor person. So, um, oh, on which more in a minute? Uh, more, more in a minute. Um, so typically, you know, I'm either bike riding or hiking. And I need something, you know, to, yeah. to distract me from the pain of, of doing those things. And so, so this is my regular Monday distraction. Cool. Yeah. Well, I, I, on, on, I can, on Monday you can listen to yourself. I can think of that's no, going to be awful. <laughs> I can think of no better compliment than yeah. being described as a distraction. Uh, so, oh yeah. Cheers. Oh, I that. think I think it's a big positive in this case. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm the same as you. Like when I walk a dog, or if on on the rare occasions I do some physical exercise, I I listen to podcasts yep. as well. Um, so yeah, talking about exercise. Before we get into the actual telecomsy stuff. And Pierre's, Pierre's told me I'm, I'm not to meander for too long at the start, so I'm trying to crack on with it. Or else. Or else. <laughs> or else he'll start, you'll start swearing at me in French. So that's, this has already gone on now for 15 minutes, um, meandering. It has yeah, been it has a bit. <laughs> yeah, but he hasn't started the But podcast. we've had a lot of bribes to get through yeah. and all that yeah. sort of thing. Um, Charlie, you're, you're doing more than just going for a bit of a hike. Um, tell us what you're up to. I am. So actually... Three months from today, I should be on my second day of hiking the Appalachian Trail. Right. So just for those of you of the listeners that don't know what that's about. So the Appalachian Trail is a hiking trail in the eastern United States. It yeah. goes all the way from Georgia to Maine. Which all all is the way out to Maine, the Appalachians go. 2,200 miles. And I think for your metric listeners, that's like 3,500 kilometers. Um and it's a hiking path that basically goes all the way through the mountains, all the way up. And it's uninterrupted for these it's uninterrupted for these thousands of miles. Yeah, and wow. so like almost five years ago, um, I quit the job I had at the time and set out to to try to hike that whole trail, um, which was fantastic um, for 567 miles. Right. And then I got injured and I almost died, and so I had to get off the trail. So that was kind of disappointing. So, we, so we always find it's that 600 threshold that's a killer, isn't it? <laughs> Is that, is that what you use? Is that, is that, is that, that's your experience. Uh, definitely. Okay. Once you once you break through that barrier, you're, you're in the home straight. Okay. Well, I look forward to that home straight. So, yeah. anyway, pretty much ever since I got out of the hospital, um, you know. I've so what been, did you do? Did you say you you broke your ankle? No, I um I did a couple things, and actually it was, I guess this still comes out of our 15 minutes, but um, <laughs> it was very good in hindsight that the two things happened at about the same time. So first of all, I'm walking along one day quite happy, fell down cut my head open, broke my sunglasses and everything. That was not yeah. a big deal. Um, and I went to the hospital and they they, they patched me up. And um, I got back on the trail a few days later. And I'm walking further north. I've probably gone about 30, 40 miles since then. All of a sudden, I feel this really piercing pain in my ribs. 
And it's pretty obvious to me that I actually I had cracked a few ribs when I fell over back a few days ago, but oh, it was right. taking a little while for the crack to, to open up. Oh, and that got to the point where I really couldn't carry my backpack and I had to put up my tent with one hand, which was kind of interesting. So at that point, I knew I had to get off the trail because yeah. you know, broken ribs take forever to heal, right? Mm -hmm. So I backtracked and then I hitchhiked for a day to get to Do a town. Do you have painkillers with you at this point? Any painkillers? Yeah. Oh, I was living on painkillers. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, I hitchhiked to a town. I rode Greyhound buses for a day and then finally flew home the third day. Um, and so right around the time I was getting home, um, I started to notice that my right leg was swelling up, which is a little bit alarming. It's not what you want. Yeah. So first thing next morning, you know, Janice takes me to our local emergency room and uh, we talk to these doctors. The first doctor goes, oh, yeah, that's the worst case of, you know, cellulitis, which is kind of an infection that I've ever seen. You're going to lose that leg. Oh, fuck oh, it that's not great. Can we get a second opinion? <laughs> so he, he brings his buddy in. His buddy goes, yeah, but that's going to spread to your heart. And I'm like, oh, this really is not good. I didn't really want that second opinion. Um, <laughs> anyway, it's kind of, kind of a long story. Short. And then a third bloke comes in and yeah. just shoots you. Yeah, right. <laughs> so after that, we quit asking for opinions and, uh, you know, got on the IVs and things. So anyway, cut a long story short, I still have two legs. Yeah. My heart is still more or less functional. So why, yeah, so cut a long story short, why were they so wrong? They just shit doctors. Because I'm just a superman. And, you know, you're just, you're just awesome. They, they didn't count on the you, Charlie Ashton. The, he, the, he, the he, he beat it with the power of he, awesomeness. He, he, pretty much. But uh, anyway, sorry. Cool. So well, ever, that, you know, ever, well, since, ever since I got out of the hospital, you know, I've been sort of plotting, okay, I need to get back on the trail and, and finish it. And uh, for various reasons, I decided, okay, this is the year to do it. Right. And um, and I was really surprised because, you know, when I let uh, Napatek know that this was my plan, I was kind of expecting them to just show me, show, to them to just show me the door. Yeah. And, and no, they actually said, okay, so you should go do that and we'll hold your job open for you cool. until you get back. Which nice was one, Napatek. Really nice. Kudos yeah. for that. I think what really happened there was they're worried that one day Napatek gets invited back on the telecoms.com podcast right? and nobody else wants to be in the hot seat. Yeah. So they kind of figured out, okay, maybe I can come back. And if we ever have to do this again, <laughs> you know, I'll be up for it again. Well, I've got to say, actually, as, as we will, as we're about to approach, you know, you, you, you have, in, in my opinion, you have, you do a difficult job well, which is that Napatek does some quite technical arcane stuff. And you've always done a great job of explaining it to, to me and Ian and all that sort of thing. We'll put you to the test on the pod. So, you know, I'm a bit knackered, a bit hungover. I'm, I'm going to be extra thick. You might have to really break things down into words of one syllable for me. But, yeah. He's, you know, he's, he's even brought hardware, though. He's brought hardware, yeah. Well, we'll get on to that. But, but that's my way of saying no wonder Napatek um, wants to treat you right because I, there's not that many people who could do what you do, I'm, sh I'm sure. So, can I just say, you know, a lot of people have this calling to do something and very few people actually do it. So that's like, you know, kudos to you for... Fair play to for you. Doing it. Yeah. Yeah, be careful. Like you, writing a book, Scott. So, yeah. Ian, what have we done? Did, did, did he write <laughs> yeah. a book? I, I never heard about that. Did you not know? <laughs> oh, yeah. I never, never heard it mentioned. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, call, they call me the next uh, J.K. Rowling. Ian, we need to take our running up a notch. I know. Um, yeah. So, yeah, just one more little thing before we um, get into talking about actual telecoms um, is this T-shirt, which is... Uh, yeah, I've never seen that one before. No, it's because I just bought it. Move the mic a bit. Um, yeah. uh, for people who are just listening, it says Electric Black, and they're a metal band, and they're from Hitchin. Oh, nice. And I, just, I, was listen I listen to Planet Rock during the day. I listen to music while I'm writing because I've got a shitty attention span. Um, Doesn't it make you write down the lyrics rather than <laughs> stuff to do? No, but I'll tell you what I can't do. I, I certainly can't listen to spoken word. I can't listen to podcasts at no. night. 
No. But, you know, when you're listening to music and writing, you're just not taking in the lyrics at all. It's mm. just, it's mm. literally background noise. Um, but anyway, but I happened to hear, like, the DJ, um, one of the DJs talking about gigs and, and mentioning Electric Black in Hitchin. I thought, a gig in Hitchin? Because Hitchin's quite a small town, sort of tens of thousands of people. I didn't even know, well, I, I sort of knew it had a venue. But anyway, I went along and they just launched a new album. So I thought I'd, I'd wear the T-shirt and give them a shout out. Electric Black just launched their new album, Rock Band from Hitchin. And they're Top good. Stuff. It was a great gig, actually. And, and so was the support. There was um, Zach and the New Men and, um, oh, God, I've forgotten the name of the other one. That's but not, they, were, they were both decent. That's not good. You make it VIP tickets now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In the very unlikely event that Electric Black are listening to Zellicoms.com podcast. But then, you know, maybe they'll see it. Maybe I'll give them a shout out when we do the tweet or something like that. Yeah. Okay. So that's enough of that. Um, I kept it moderately short, Pierre. Yeah, um, 20 minutes. Yeah. Okay. So, so the, the Streisand effect. We've already lost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's definitely the Streisand effect. Um, so let's, um, let's just start. You know, with all due respect to Napa Tech, it could be that some people listening to this haven't heard of them. Really? Um, so why don't you just take it from the top, Charlie, and tell us what Napatech does and, okay. and why why you are therefore on the telecoms.com podcast, other than the fact that you bribed us handsomely. Oh, yeah, I thought that was the reason. I thought it yeah, was the beer yeah. and the chocolates and the yeah. Appalachian Trail story. Um, <clears throat> so Napatech is a, is a technology company that's based in Copenhagen, Denmark. And actually has been in business for a little over 20 years. It was founded in 2003. So we had our 20th anniversary celebration um, last year, which I wasn't able to attend. Um, and we're actually – we're listed on the Oslo Stock Exchange. So we are we are a public company. Uh-huh. And we make – They don't have um, a stock exchange in Denmark then? Uh, apparently not. Oh, apparently not. Um, I'm sure there's a story there, but honestly, yeah. I don't I don't know what it is. So we're, we're about 100 people, you know, mostly in Copenhagen. There's – 11 or 12 of us in the U.S. and a couple in Asia. And um, we have two kinds of products. The the first product that we make is a, a smart network interface card, which is a thing like this. Cool. That's the camera, right? And so, Which, to people listening, looks a little bit like a graphics card or, yeah. or, or something like, like that. Like a thinner graphics card. Well, what it, what it looks exactly like is a regular network interface card. That's otherwise right. called a standard NIC or a foundational NIC. Okay. But Can the you difference... show the, the ports to the camera as well? Yeah. And that would go into a server. Exactly. Mm. So just like a regular NIC plugs into a server, a smart NIC plugs into a server. The difference is with a regular NIC, like what would come off the shelf in your standard server that that you would buy, all that a regular NIC does is it pulls the traffic off the network interface port and sends all of that traffic up to the server CPU on, on the server. And all of the packet processing, security functions, whatever has to be done to that traffic, that processing has to be done by the server CPU. Now, that's fine if you're talking about applications where the, the bandwidth is relatively low, there's not a whole lot of traffic, and a general purpose CPU can keep up with that traffic and do that, that processing. But when you start to look at you know high bandwidth applications, you know whether they're in sort of data capture or telecom networks or, or data centers, um, the general purpose CPU on the server is going to be overwhelmed processing that traffic. Mm. And one of two things is going to happen. Either it's not going to be able to keep up and you're not going to be able to achieve what's called line rate, or you're going to need a really expensive server with really big CPUs with lots of cores in order to basically just deal with your network infrastructure functions. And that's a very, very inefficient use of a general purpose CPU that was designed for doing general purpose 
applications. As the name services. strongly implies. Yeah, exactly. So what a smart NIC does is a smart NIC offloads the networking data plane, and it runs that data plane function on the smart NIC. So all of the server, the server CPU now has to do is it has to run the control plane function, which consumes a lot less in the in the way of resources. Yeah. So what we do at Napatech is even though the most visible thing that we ship is is these products, these hardware products, our core expertise is actually in the software stacks that run on the smart NICs. And those are software stacks that are optimized to accelerate very specific kinds of applications running under standard API interfaces on, on the, the general purpose CPUs there. So, for example, in the telecom space, and we'll probably talk more about this in a minute, um, when you look at the 5G packet core, the most compute-intensive function that is part of that, that whole subsystem is this thing called a user plane function or a UPF. And what we have done in our UPF offload solution is we've taken the UPF data plane and we've implemented it to run on the smart NIC. So that has two benefits for the end user. First of all, they're able to achieve you know, line rate traffic, um, which in the case of this card is a dual 100 gig traffic. Um, and actually in our newer card, which I didn't bring, um, we, have, we can do dual 200 gig traffic. So you can achieve very, very high line rate bandwidth. And at the same time, you don't need big, fancy, expensive server CPUs with lots and lots of cores. You can have much smaller CPUs and you can dedicate the, the general purpose cores to running the kind of applications and services that are relevant for, for so the use case. Ju just to, I mean, in terms of what's going on at the moment, Charlie, with people running UPF stuff and this hasn't, you know, this 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 is kind of quite an innovative thing, but it would be the case that those UPF that function is 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 very much being run on the server itself at the exactly. moment in these networks. Exactly. And, and Napatech's position would be that's just an inefficient way of doing mm -hmm. it, and you're actually spending more money than you need to mm -hmm. essentially, and using more energy than you need to. So, mm -hmm. if you the pitch is come along and and change things up and and save yourself. Uh, resources, essentially. Exactly. And so what we do is, you know, we talk with the end users and the software companies about the kinds of applications that they're targeting, you know, with their 5G cores. Yeah. And we do the analysis for them. And, you know, if it's a low bandwidth application and you can deal with it all effectively with a small footprint server, cool. We don't actually bring any value with this kind of technology. But for applications which are which are high bandwidth, um, you know, maybe it's like a terabit telecom uh, packet core. Maybe it's an enterprise private network that is, is, is doing a lot of video, for example. Yeah. Then there's a very high business justification for ex adopting this kind of offload solution. So, so the, I mean, the pitch is that it's potentially going to get more important if we start moving towards some of these wizzy new applications that people are talking about, like XR and AR Absolutely. and uh, yeah. uh, some of the, you know, um, AI stuff that yep. people are getting excited yep. about. Exactly. In fact, we have one, one uh, company we're working with uh, right now, and uh, their whole focus is private networks that are optimized for video-intensive um, application, whether that is, you know, camera monitoring or industrial AR or, v or VR. And they have really high bandwidth traffic that they have to process. And they don't want to buy any more servers than they have to. I mean, that's just, you know, a sunk cost in terms of CapEx and OpEx for yeah. them. So they're very excited about this, about this solution because essentially they can go from implementing their private network, you know, in a rack of servers to implementing it, you know, in a box. Um, is there anyone else doing it? Because you wouldn't necessarily expect this, you know, 100-person company from Copenhagen to come along and try and find a, a fix to this. You might think that some of the, the big guys, you know, the brands that we know would, would sort of be all over this uh, um, 
issue, I guess. But, you know, what are you seeing in the market in terms of what's happening competitively against you? So probably the closest competing solution is from, from NVIDIA um, right. through products that they acquired with, with Mellanox. But honestly, we don't see them promoting that very heavily. I think, you know, if you're NVIDIA right now, you're probably a little bit more focused on promoting your, your AI. AI yeah. for, for obvious reasons. And working yeah. out how to spend all that cash it, that it, you've it, got. I mean, that's got to be a tough Crypto problem. Crypto mining yeah. stuff. Yeah. So, so, I mean, almost overwhelmingly when, when we first meet with, you know, a software partner or, or an end user, um, we're essentially competing with the inertia that comes along with a legacy implementation where everything is running in, in pure software on that. On that so so with NVIDIA doing it, I mean, they're famous for GPUs, aren't they? But is that what they'd be positioning um, the GPUs to be used for partly? or Because your, your solution is not that, is it? The chip is... Uh... Unless I'm mistaken, it's an FPGA mm -hmm. that you're working with on this mm -hmm. uh, yeah. on the on the smart neck. Yeah, and we've talked about this in the past, but because they, they had a bit of a bad rap, didn't they, a few years ago? FPGAs with the whole Nokia Nokia oh, yeah. issue, which you, I mean, I remember you kind of <clears> came in and said that's not a very good sort of uh, example of where to use them, and without really knowing what went on with uh, Nokia's kind of problems with them, they they undeservedly perhaps got a, a bad rap mm -hmm. after that, I think. But why why, why do you think that they kind of are a, a, a good way of dealing with it? And where does, you know, Napatek kind of come into that technology? So the, the there's a number of advantages for using um, an FPGA architecture for, for this kind of data plane application. Yeah. The first one is you can extract really, really high performance out of that FPGA. As long as you have the very specialized expertise to program it correctly and develop, you know, not only the firmware that runs on the FPGA, but also the complete software stack that interfaces with, with the host application. And we just happen to have, you know, most of those experts in the world work, work for Napatech. Yeah. Um, one of the things I hadn't realized till I joined the company is Copenhagen, it turns out, is sort of a center of excellence for, for FPGA FPGs. programming yeah, that's and most of it for us. <laughs> um, but, so that, but that's a very, very important differentiator for yeah. us because when a customer buys one of our solutions, they don't know there's an FPGA on that card as opposed to any other technology. Yeah. They get a card that they plug into a standard server slot, and they get a driver that interfaces with their standard API. And once they download that driver and install the card, then their application is, is magically accelerated without them having any idea what's going on under the hood. The other big advantage of an FPGA as compared to an ASIC is that it's obviously it's reprogrammable. Right. So the functionality and the performance of an ASIC never get any better than the day that chip was taped out. So ASICs, just to be clear, are the things that people like Ericsson would, would uh, churn yeah. out at great expense. It, 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 that, exactly. Yeah. It, it, it's, a, it's a fixed function yep. integrated circuit, an application-specific integrated circuit. There we are. I was going to say, let's expand the uh, acronym. Yeah. Application-specific yeah. integrated circuit, as opposed to field programmable... Gate, gate array. Gate array, that's Pretty it. Good. I was getting there. You're, no, you're doing good. Yeah. Not bad for a hungover Friday. So, but but that's a very key point. I mean, it costs us, you know, a fortune to develop a chip, and every time you tape it out and you take that to a new fab run, I mean, that's tens of millions of dollars. Mm. And after the time you tape out that ASIC, if something changes in the algorithm, if there was a bug in your code, if there's an extra feature that needs to be added, that is tens of millions of dollars ex of expense and yeah. many many months to make that change to the firmware that's running. Does, does that make it more suitable for some market? Because that was the debate, wasn't it, that went on with Nokia. And I, I know that's the radio access network rather than the core that they were kind of using the FPGAs for. But the criticism was they weren't as energy efficient in that use case for 
uh, you know, supporting these functions and, and the ASICs that Ericsson and Huawei were, were using yeah. were just much, much better. Yeah. But then the criticism, I suppose, that you come in with is, yeah, if you do need to change something, you can't do it on an ASIC and it costs a huge amount at first to actually produce them. I mean, it all depends on the application and the right. market, right? I mean, once, a, once an application hits high volume, and once the function is very, very stable and unlikely to need to change, it makes perfect sense to just roll it out in an ASIC. Yeah. And actually, a lot of functions that are now in ASICs from various semiconductor manufacturers, they started out basically prototyping them in FPGAs. Right. When they get them right and all of a sudden they need to ship you know, tens of millions of units, they just roll an ASIC. So could this be done on an ASIC? Would it just well, not it, make it, sense? It could. But you know, one of the things that we've noticed ever since we, we rolled this out is – even though UPF is a 3GPP standard in theory, every company has like little minor variants as to how they implement that. Right. Um, and there are a lot of incremental features that we've actually implemented for our software partners and that they can then take advantage of. And we're able to do that very, very quickly. We just spin another software release and, and, and put that out there. Um, because again, an FPGA is fully reprogrammable. So even once these cards are in the field, we can push upgrades to our partners, and they can they can upgrade their their systems, you know, in in the field yep. at at no cost. So we consider that to be a massive advantage. The fact that um, we can listen to our customers and we can listen to new developments in the industry, we can very very quickly you know respond to implementing those new features in our code, and then they can take advantage of them. Yeah. Also, of course, when you're in the early days of this kind of a project, it's a it's inevitable that when you first do a software release, there's going to be a bug or two. Maybe three on a bad day. Yeah. And you know, when when especially in the first year or so, when we were working with our initial partners, anytime they would re report a bug, we would analyze if it, it was real, we'd fix it and we'd push a fix out to them. And you know, maybe in the space of a couple of days, now they have a fixed a fixed code. So um, th those are really the the, the main advantages yeah. that our customers are getting from this. It's the fact that they can get very very high performance, and you know, the 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 software can be updated in the field. Yeah. I know, I know one of the criticisms that got made, um, I can't say who it came from, but with the Nokia experience was actually they didn't necessarily have the the expertise you talked about. You know, it's quite concentrated, isn't it? And, yep. Um, I, there was I brought you in. Yeah, there, there, was, there was someone who said to me, actually, the problem possibly isn't the fact that they were using FPGAs necessarily. It's just they didn't they didn't know how properly. to kind of write for them well, oh, yeah. essentially. Well, most but, chips um, are ASICs, aren't they? Is that right? No. Or maybe. Um, so you have general purpose processors yeah. like like x86 processors from yeah. Intel and AMD. Those are not ASICs. Those are fully programmable, you know, right. with, uh, with, with a, against a stand, an industry standard instruction but, set. But they're not called FPGAs either. No, no, they're, they're just no, a they're, they're general thing. purpose. They're general purpose processors. The programmability is the argument for putting, uh, you know, moving your kind of functions, your network functions, onto general purpose processors. One of the arguments for doing that and having a cloud RAM or whatever a cloud right. network is, is the programmability on the yeah. fly yeah. speaking yeah right and a general purpose processor has an instruction set that is very good for general purpose services and applications yeah. i mean if you think about the processor you know in in your laptop there you know you can be running games you can be running microsoft yeah. office who knows what else you got on there um, you're able to do that because it, you have such a rich instruction set within that processor asics are typically used when you have a fixed function 
yeah. that is very mature, well-known, right. and you need to replicate in very, very high volume. Like a lot of low-level networking chips, like Ian, like you were mentioning, you know, those are ASICs because stuff. they exactly, you know, fulfill um, those the, those criteria. And there's going to be the most cost-effective way to get there. I mean, FPGAs are expensive yeah. compared to ASICs. Well, that was the other thing but, I was going to say um, when Ian was uh, making that reference to Nokia, when I wrote about it um, in my relatively inexpert way one of the things i gathered was just the cost yeah so you know obviously fpga is done right as you um are insisting you guys do um are worth the cost oh yeah but if you don't do them right then you're better off going with they because yeah. it's cheaper yeah and actually we we've demonstrated that to to many of our of our customers and prospects around this this upf offload solution um, because one of the things we had to do right at the start was develop kind of an ROI, return on investment modeling tool. So we could sit down with a customer and we could put in their assumptions about their use case, how much traffic, how many users, how much, you know, how many megabits per second per user, you know, what are their service costs, what's the cost of power, blah, 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 all of these kind of um all of these um, metrics that are relevant to their application. And if you put all that into the, into a, a spreadsheet, you can do a, a very accurate comparison of the return on investment that they're going to get from this kind of a solution compared to compared to just a pure software implementation. And one of the variables in that spreadsheet is just you know what's the price of the of the NIC card. Yeah, um, we've actually found in a lot of cases. Um, we haven't so much gone through this with the customers, but we've looked at it internally that, you know, we can half the price of, of one of these, ne these network interface cards. And that makes almost no difference, or even we could double it. It makes almost no difference to the overall ROI in that scenario because the ROI is dominated by the power consumption of the server and the cost of the server. So you, you've done some research with um, heavy reading on this, haven't you, as well? We with, have. Um, yeah, we just that, uh, yeah. It just, it's out now, is it? Can yeah, we talk so, about yeah. It? So yeah. so yeah. Ruth Brown yeah. um, just published a uh, white paper. It was like a couple of weeks ago that that came yeah. out. And actually, so for that, we looked at a use case that we modeled with our software partner, A Five G Networks, and Lenovo as the server partner and AMD as the processor supplier for, for that server. Yep. And we modeled a kind of a fixed wireless access kind of a scenario. 50,000 users, um, you know. F so A5G, just in that instance, that's the company doing the UPF uh, software. Is that right? Yeah, well, they, yeah, they provide the packet core software. Right. Okay. And then the UPF is a subsystem within, within that, that, right. that we then offload the data plane of that onto, onto right. the SmartNIC. So when we ran that, that uh, analysis with Ruth, the metric that she was most interested in was energy consumption per user per year. Okay. And so using that, that scenario with the A5G software on the Lenovo server with an AMD processor, um, we compared that energy efficiency me metric for the scenario where we offload the UPF data plane using our SmartNIC versus where they run everything on the server CPU. And the energy efficiency was eight times better in right. other words, the power consumption was one-eighth for the scenario that's enabled by, by our SmartNIC. So, obviously, if you're a telco and you're looking at these enormous energy bills, um, infrastructure uh, power consumption is actually a significant portion of your, of your OPEX. And if you can cut that infrastructure power consumption by a factor of eight, that's a very significant ROI for, for the telco. Yeah. And and in terms of, like, uh, commercial development at the moment, because I think when we when – 
first started speaking to you about this, it was very much at the kind of planning yeah. stage and you yeah. were <laughs> talking up what, what could potentially be done, but it's moved on quite a bit from there, hasn't it? Yeah, you, it you really just has. a couple of the companies you, you're yeah. working with. Yeah, so, um, so you and I first talked about this back in 2022. Yeah. And, you know, for us, that was really the year of getting the technology developed and solid and first out there in the market and when we first engaged with with some ecosystem partners both on the packet core software side and also on the server side that was kind of 2022 get the technology out there 2023 was all about building the partner ecosystem um and that's that's a critical part of our go to market because you know an end user it could be an enterprise deploying a private network it could be you know a telco carrier they don't buy directly from us they buy their packet core software from their favorite software vendor. Yeah. And they buy their servers from their favorite server vendors. And sometimes they even have a system integrator in the middle to put the whole thing together for them. And we have zero influence over their choice of vendors. So what we have to do from a go-to-market point of view is we have to partner with those software companies and server companies and make sure that our solution is cleanly integrated with their products so that then the end user can continue to buy from the vendors that they prefer, but they can realize all the advantages of this kind of technology. Right. So anyway, that's kind of what we were doing in 2023 was we were engaging with ecosystem partners and starting to help them bring their products to market. Now, as we come into 2024, we're starting to see end users actually do deployments based on those the, the, those partner products. Right. So, yeah, so at this point, I mean, we have a we have a partner ecosystem um, with software companies. Um, last year, we did announcements with A5G Networks that I mentioned, um, Druid Software, which is a company very focused on private networks that's based in, in Dublin. And just earlier this week, we did an announcement with a company called TrueMinds, um, which is a, a packet core software supplier actually based in, based in India. And we've got, three more of those types of announcements coming between now and MWC at the end of February. So it's moving quite quickly. It's, it's quite it's, a good it's, sign, it's isn't quickly. it, to have a yeah. batch of them. It yeah. feels like a quite a major sort of um, strategic bet by Napatek in terms of um, a sort of product line and, it is. and all that sort of thing. And and if it comes off, it could be, yeah. you know, a, a major yeah. major win for the company. So fingers crossed for you on that one. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and I mean, also it requires a a fair amount of patience. Yeah. yeah, this is telco, right? We know how long things take in the in the in the telco world. So when we we started making this investment back in 2021 was really when the R and D effort right. started, and here we are 2024, and this is when we're first going to see some some yeah. deployments. So you know our our investors and our and our management team has had to have a certain patient. amount of patience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, in terms of the impact on the company's financials, if it does take off, it's 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 quite it's a whole new product line that's almost as big as what you're kind of already in, yeah, or maybe even bigger. Oh, what because we didn't really talk about what they do at the moment in terms of legacy business and what, what sort of, does. Yeah, yes, but, yeah. So Nabatec has a legacy business basically for most of the past. 20 years, all around data capture. Yeah. Um, if you think about applications like, you know, test and measurement, and various, you know, financial systems, sort of like around high frequency trading, yep. you know, a lot of government applications that we can't really talk about. Um, there are a lot of use cases. What, what you need to do is you need to be getting traffic off the network at a very high line rate with guaranteed zero packet loss, guaranteed um, latency. And bringing that traffic up to the server to interface with, you know, maybe a security application or an, a 
capture and analysis application. So that kind of data capture business, that's been our bread and butter for, for 20 years. And FPGAs are used there. That's yeah. where the expertise comes yeah. from, is working yeah. on them in that sort of context. It, it, really. Exactly. Right. All of our products are based on, on FPGAs. Um, and we also have a new product line that we just announced with Intel last year, which is called an infrastructure processing unit. Right. And I don't have a show and tell for that because... It's bad There's lots of it's, pictures of them on your website. There's lots I've of just pictures, on our, we- so pictures you, on our website. If you like a bit of um, sort of electronics porn, <laughs> go to yeah. the Napa Tech website. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. Um, can, we, can we TM that? Because I think that's, yeah. that's a good one. So the reason I didn't bring a show and tell for the IPUs is... Um, oh, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go. No, I have. You wouldn't believe the amount of time I've spent explaining SmartNICs to security people in there. Yeah, indeed. And I don't even want to go to the trouble of trying to explain an IPU because I'm going to miss a flight sooner or later. But let me just explain what yeah, an yeah. IPU is. Um, an IPU is a, a solution that combines an FPGA-based SmartNIC along with a general-purpose processor, like a Xeon processor, for example. And why do you have both of those on the same offload solution? In a lot of data center applications, you want to not only offload your networking data plane, but you also want to offload control plane functions so that all of the CPU cores in your server CPU are available for the tenant applications. Okay. So it's going even further in terms of what you're moving off the the process. Exactly. So if it's an infrastructure as a service business, for example, in a data center, you want to be able to rent out the complete CPU to your tenants. You don't want to have some of that CPU um, consumed by running network infrastructure functions. So so we we announced a partnership with Intel last year. Well, this is, it looks the same. It's similar. That uh, that's an NT one hundred, and that's an NT two hundred. Okay, so I just it, pointed to Charlie to something on their website it, that looked yeah. just is, like the bit of kit he brought in. Is the IPU that you're doing with with Intel? That's the same part of Intel that you'd be working with on sort of FPGAs. Is that the same yes. sort of unit? It, it's yeah, it what's is. called the um, programmable systems group, which which is actually yeah, being PSG. kind of moved into a, a separate kind of entity, isn't it? Now? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it, so it's it's the group that they originally acquired from Altera yeah. a few years ago, and yeah. then they just announced uh, recently. We've got which oh, side the mic. They just announced recently that that's going to be spun off into a, into a separate company, um, sometime yep. sometime fairly soon, which is which is 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 really exciting, and um, so we partnered with Intel last year. They were looking for a company that could bring complete hardware software IPU solutions to market because that's not what they do. They come up with reference designs yep. both on the hardware side and the software side. So we started a partnership with them over on what's called their Oak Springs Canyon platform. Um, and we bring that to market. They have these through, lovely names, don't they? Sapphire Rapids they, they, and they have, stuff. They have really, really good <laughs> Named <companies>. after. <laughs> they they really do. They look, they look named after places that rich people live in. in <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that sounds very nice. Yeah, exactly. like, what is it? Oh, it's a They're named ship. after golf clubs or something. <laughs> the Walnut exactly. Creek card. Yeah. Well, actually, the one they had before is called Big Springs Canyon. And I made, I made a big deal one time of hiking to this place called Big Springs Canyon, which is in Canyonlands National Park in Utah, and taking some pictures there, which... Uh, that's what you should do. do you know what you should do instead of the Appalachian Trail do a Intel codename hike yeah hike all of their <laughs> random gaffes that they've named chips after anyway sorry 
How about maybe we do that next? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. A very good idea, Scott. Provided your leg doesn't fall off. I was off. going to say, when I come back with two legs and a beating yeah. heart, then maybe we'll yeah. think about okay. that. A really good idea. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Um, anytime, mate. Anytime. So just to complete, complete the story on the on the IPU, which is the second half of our business. So, um, yeah, basically, we did a deal with Intel whereby they provide us with their reference design for the hardware. And they provide us with reference code that they've developed for certain workloads. And then we product productize all of that so we can now deliver complete integrated solutions. Right. So, you know, we, we have a, a solution for storage offload in data centers okay. and network offload in data centers and security offload in data centers. And then we have a go-to-market partnership with Intel whereby they go out, you know, to all of the folks that they know in these companies and they uncover opportunities and bring them to us, and then we fulfill those opportunities with production quality hardware and software. So is the IPU stuff at a kind of younger, uh, an earlier stage than the uh, the FPGA-type uh, EPF uh, offload side of things? Or yeah, and again, yeah. There's, there's still an FPGA in the IPU. Yeah. There's an FPGA plus... And, and a, a processor. And a general purpose yeah. processor. Yeah. Right. But yes, it is. So the, the IPU... Um, we, we announced the IPU um, agreement with Intel last year, and we're just now shipping the first units... Um, this this month, and is so. there a, an equivalent thing? Because the other, I think the, you're also working with AMD, aren't you? To mm -hmm. some extent, do they have a similar thing? Because they're quite similar in a way with the Xilinx acquisition, aren't they? That they mm -hmm. have that business that did, that was very well known. I think for, mm -hmm. in fact, that's pretty much all Xilinx did, wasn't it? FPGAs really yeah. before they. Yeah. There's a Xilinx yeah. inside that thing yeah. I just showed Charlie a photo. Yeah. Of oh. yeah, yeah, That I thought was the same as the Cardi brought yeah, in, which you, is very you, similar. You can is that, see it right, is right, right there? See right there. Are, the, are they talking about similar types of solutions? And I mean, IPUs is very much a sort of Intel thing, but is there kind of a, a, a interest on the AMD part in in um, in that kind of opportunity as well? This kind of combined FPGA and processor. Uh, side of things. So yeah, you're yeah. right. So we so some of the the smart NICs within our overall portfolio are based on Xilinx slash AMD FPGAs, yep. and then others are based on Altera slash uh, Intel right. FPGAs. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we're talking to. I mean. We have very close strategic partnerships with both of those companies, yep. and we're always talking to them about you know what we might do in the future together, and and how the unique expertise that we have kind of complements what they're trying to do in the marketplace and the kind of use cases that they're trying to address. So yeah, we've always got those sort of strategic discussions going on. The, with, the, with the, the broader trend I see because this the, the PU bit's interesting, isn't it? Because there's all sorts of PUs now. It used to be just sort of CPUs for the general purpose stuff, but now you've got IPUs, DPUs, obviously got the GPUs that are known mm. from uh, the NVIDIA side. Mm. But it, to me, it kind of very much ties in with the, um, I think it was actually Jensen Huang who came up with this idea that mm. everything's moving more towards ex this mm. notion of accelerated computing. Mm. And I mean, so the parallel I'll, I'll, I see in, in kind of telco is, is very much what's happening on the cloud round side of things to some extent. You mm. know, this idea that you those very specialized layer one functions that you've got on the uh, radio access network side, um, you know, ideally need to be kind of accelerated and there's different ways of doing that, but you're essentially bringing some some kind of customization into to do it and, and freeing up the, the CPU for other things. It's, it's kind, of, a, kind of a similar story. Yeah, right? and by the way, you, you forgot um, SuperNix. SuperNIC. Yeah, oh, so I, I Google SuperNIC, and that's that's right. the latest term there. Ah. Yeah, look, this I mean, this whole concept of of um, of workload acceleration, it, it just makes sense, right? It, it doesn't. It, it's not sensible to have a general purpose processor used for specialized functions. 
especially when the bandwidth requirement is so high that it means you're going to need a prohibitively large number of, of cores. Yeah. I mean, if you think about to the, back to the early days of, if we bring it back to telco, think about the early days of network functions virtualization, right, or NFV back, when was that, 2012? Oh, 2012, I think. Yeah. yeah. So you remember in those initial NFV meetings, what they were talking about was all of these network functions are going to be hosted on, quote, commodity servers. Yeah. And what they meant by that was that you're going to use exactly the same server as you buy, you know, for your data center to host Salesforce. Yeah. Uh, you, they're going to use those for hoping net, hosting network functions. Well, no, because guess why? It's just not cost effective. Yeah. And when you get right down to it, as any of these use cases, you know, rolls out in volume, the end user is going to take always take a look at okay, what's really the most cost effective way to implement it? Yeah. And if it makes more sense to offload specialized functions onto an accelerator that is designed to do that efficiently then as long as the software structure exists so that you can do that in a way that's seamless with your applications, of course you're going to do it. Yeah. I um, I took you off on your offer to Google Super NIC. So there's an NVIDIA blog entitled, What is a Super NIC? And it says, a Super NIC is a type of network accelerator for AI cloud data centers that delivers robust and seamless connectivity between GPU servers. And then on Amazon... There's a type of wardrobe or a wall hanging device called SuperNIC. Look, SuperNIC wall mounted clothes rail. And then there's also a type of something called that says it's leading the way in revolutionary nicotine solutions. <laughs> SuperNIC. That must be something different. Our commitment, so I think it's like, fuck knows, it's chewing tobacco, or maybe it's like, or maybe it's like, um, uh, nicotine, oh, patches. nicotine gum yeah, yeah. patches and all that sort of thing. So there we are. There's all yeah. sorts of things, and it looks like it's quite a good article. Fair play. The Register wrote a thing um, when Nvidia introduced this super nick term, which only seems to have been late last year. Yeah. and they've explained it, and they fair play to them. They seem to have done a I decent mean, job. They yeah. mentioned DPUs and IPUs in the headline. Yeah. They do. So, they so do. yeah. So quick comment on that. Um, so you know, before we went down a a tangent, I was just about to, you know... Which we're inclined to do. Yeah, I was just about to to talk about the fact that, you know, our third product area is... What kind of nicotine was it again? I wasn't reading over your shoulder. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I'm still trying to work out what the fuck that is. Revolutionary nicotine something. We deliver excellence in every drop of nicotine. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Bizarre. Okay. So, so, um... (laughs) Yeah, so no, that's not really our third product line. We don't make nicotine. No. Um, but what's what's really interesting, if you go back to the first Put Super that in Nick, the suggestion box. Yeah, there you go. If you go back to the first um, Super Nick blog that, the that you pulled Nvidia up there. One. Yeah. So if you scroll down a little bit to all the techie details, which mm-hmm. I wouldn't recommend. Don't ev- worry, mate. <laughs> every one of the functions and features that are listed under that Super Nick blog are things that we have implemented for many years right. in our Smart Nicks and now our So IPAs. you're basically saying... Welcome to the party, pal, to uh, NVIDIA. Welcome to the world of branding. Yeah. Um, you know, it's pretty much interchangeable. You can call it an IPU, a DPU, a super NIC. It's all about workload acceleration. Okay. And that's what we do. Um, I've, got, I've got a couple of other questions. And then um, if, you t- if you've got anything else to add or Ian's got any other questions, let, let's, make, let's sort of um, move it along after that, yeah? Um. The FEGA thing. So you're saying, and, and I say you're saying, but I, I obviously um, believe you that um, Napitex got some many of the sort of world's experts on on programming um, FPGAs. I'm it's slightly sort of devil's advocate question. If FPGA is such a good idea, why isn't it bigger? Why 
why is just a hundred headcount Danish company one of the few that specialises in it? You would have thought, given that it's it's a fundamental subsection subset of of processing of of semiconductors, that it might be a bigger area of business. Why isn't it? Why aren't FPGAs on the whole bigger than they are? Well, FPGAs are used in a wide variety of, of vertical applications. I mean, you know, all all over the market, basically okay. anywhere where you need. So they are bigger. I just didn't yeah, realize. Yeah, any, anywhere where you need, you know, high performance processing and the ability to update the code quickly, or maybe to, to prototype the code or to try, yeah. out, you know, new, new algorithms or whatever. FPGAs are, are, are a massive. You, I'm not business. trying to. I'm not trying to um, back you into a corner, but can you think of any examples that I'd be able to get my head around where, where I'm likely to encounter them in the real world? Oh, I mean, so other than networking, which is which is what we're focused, maybe we'll come back to that in a minute. You're going to see FPGAs in uh, a lot of image processing type okay. applications. Um, you're going to see them in a lot of you know AI type systems. Um, anywhere you know where maybe the app the the algorithm isn't completely stable, or you want yeah. the ability to update that algorithm frequently. Um, that's where you're going to see FPGAs. And I mean, if you look at the the business that you know Intel has and uh, and AMD has in FPGAs, those are enormous enormous businesses. Right. Okay. So right. we we play in a very and, and, and AMD's is mainly Xilinx, which was an acquisition. Yeah. Is that right. Yeah. Exactly. And Intel's is Altera, which was which an, acquisition was an acquisition too. Yeah. Okay. Um, we play in in a very specific vertical market which is networking yeah. infrastructure. So it's fair to say that the FPGA expertise, there are other people doing it, oh, but yeah. the bit that you're in is where there's this concentration of expertise in, in, in exactly. Denmark. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. Right. Okay. And then I've got a facetious question, which is in your logo, why have you got colons and semicolons dotted around the place? What's the point of that? Oh, that's way above my pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, now you're talking branding. So, yeah. So when you look up, if anyone's listening, they look up, you look up Napatech and they've got Napa and then a colon and then tech and a semicolon at the end of it. Perhaps it's just a Danish thing. Um, but that was it. Those are the only questions I had. Did you have any, no. any more? Charlie, you, you just alluded to something else that you that you wanted to mention a minute ago when I was asking about FPGAs. You said, you know, maybe we'll come on to this. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was more I was going to talk about the, the, the segment of the market that, that we play in. Right. Which, like I said, I mean, we play in a very specific segment of, of networking infrastructure. So our expertise is in taking networking protocols and packet processing protocols um, and porting them to run on FPGAs with host software stacks, you know, that provide that interface between the FPGA firmware and the host application. Why, why is it that it's it's been sort of Denmark that's kind of been uh, ahead of the curve in that um, in that area? It's a bit honestly, strange, isn't honestly, it? It's, it could be a, like an academic thing. It could be that got yeah. university. Yeah. You know, you get like some UK universities that are really into mobile, like Surrey. Yeah, I mean, you go, to, you go to Ulu in, in northern Finland and the university there is obviously famous for radio yeah, stuff. Right, and you think right. well, that's kind of obvious, you know, there's yeah. this history with Nokia, but it just yeah. it's, it's kind of curious there's this... Um, thing that Denmark's uh, particularly kind of known for this area. Do you need area, FPGAs but... to make Lego? Maybe that's it. <laughs> that, that That's what I should have brought for, brought for a bribe yeah. of the month, isn't it? Some Lego. Some, some, some Lego. Lego some, beer. Yeah, I mean, some of those, you know, really cool new Lego sets that you can get. You can get ones that are supposed to represent networks, I think, now. Lego sets that are based <laughs> on, yeah. Someone that's, I'm sure I saw something on LinkedIn where it's like, here's a 5G private network um, in Lego format. And it's actually a Lego set of... 
like you know bits of the bits of base stations and stuff and no okay. yeah yeah well so if, up, if but... you ever invite me back you know to tell my App- Appalachian Trail story yeah yeah definitely I'll, I'll bring some genuine Danish Lego from Denmark yeah, yeah don't the last person we had on who was from Denmark he brought a lot of good beers but he also brought some Carlsberg which still hasn't got drunk what do you think of these by the way I think they're really good yeah. So this this is just a classic like American pale ale type of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. It's even got that slightly soapy hoppy thing that you get with mm-hmm. a lot of hoppy. So mine's pale. a lager. Yeah, how is it? Well, it's a, it's a lager. You know. But is it a it, good lager or is it well, as far as you're concerned lager's a fucking lager? I find lager's quite a generic beer, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it, it is. is. It but is. Like, there's like, a difference between like Carlsberg and Star Praman or something like that. Yeah, though. well I think the best lagers in the world come from central Europe yeah. and eastern Europe. Czech Czech and I said, God, I, I spoke to your colleague who's from the Czech Republic and I, I just somehow lapsed and, and called it Czechoslovakia and she was like, no, nah, it's not that, mate. She she corrected me on that. Not anymore. Yeah, they, 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 the Slovaks don't mind when you call it Czechoslovakia. Yeah. Maybe the right. Czechs do, I don't know. But Well, Czech's the, the, <laughs> big, big, Czech's the bigger half of that of that division, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, population, my understanding of it, I think it was mainly the Slovaks that were pushing for um, a, a kind of breakup oh, okay. because they yeah. felt so... This is another tangent, yeah. TM. But they, they felt that uh, a lot of the... So if you look at the shape of the country, it's like that and Prague's right over on the... Towards you know, Germany. On the, sort of, on the sort of western mm-hmm. side yeah. of it. And th- there was a feeling that it's like you're a long way from government and all the funding went into infrastructure projects in the west and yeah. Slovakia had this reputation as kind of like a, mm. a, a backwater that... A bit like neglected. Wales. Yeah, but there was never any acrimony. It wasn't like um, what happened in Yugoslavia, which is obviously bad. Yeah. It was never, yeah. sort of, no, it was never like that. Um so, yeah. Can we have a lecture on Yugoslavia now? Yeah, so basically... <laughs> yeah, bul- Balkanization. I, I have w- one more yeah, comment. I know, I know what I was going to say earlier. Yeah. So um, just to sort of tie what we're doing to sort of maybe the bigger macro picture in, in telecom right now. So we all know what kind of a year 2023 was for telecom, right? I mean, it was all about... That's going to provide co- good, good segue. Yeah, the next I mean, it was well. all about, you know, massive financial losses and, and layoffs and just this this total focus on operational cost reductions. Yeah. What we're doing ties into that perfectly. That's your core ROI pitch, isn't it? it it's it's a key efficiency. part of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but with the telcos are so focused on cost and especially focused on OPEX, which is, what, four or five times capex then the kind of improvements that we can provide in terms of 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 opex partly in terms of energy efficiency and just partly in terms of reducing the number of servers that you have to deploy to support a given subscriber base the benefits that we deliver there are just even more important now given all the stresses that the telcos are yeah. under as they're looking at their finances i think i think the point that you just made there's really interesting about opex being that big compared mm. to capex because that really gets overlooked doesn't it you know they always get talked about it is obviously a capital yeah. intensive industry and everyone's like oh look at how much they're spending each year in capex mm. but the bigger concerns really is what they're what they're investing in operational oh, ongoing costs, yeah. really. It's yeah. just, it's, it's immense. I, I, I think it's harder to analyze, right? I mean, yeah. everybody everybody gets the concept of CapEx. It's really easy. You're just yeah. buying product. Yeah. But people don't necessarily think as much about, you know, depreciation yeah. and energy and operational costs and people and network operations. That And, and yeah, the total OPEX cost, every time I read a report, it's usually it's about huge. four or five times yeah. CapEx. Well, and, shout out to our analyst partners at Omdia because they do very good sort of OPEX, telecom oh, yeah. OPEX analysis at the yeah. moment. They've got like oh, this, they? they've got some tracker service that's um, really, really kind of like cutting edge, I think. it's uh, So, yeah. Did you know, did you know that Charlie's doing a light reading webinar? Yeah, 
I did. Kiss yeah, it. with yeah. With, with Ruth, Ruth Brown. Yeah. Who, did the who you just paper. mentioned yeah. earlier. Yeah, yeah. So that's there we are. Do you want to mention the, the, the I time will. Of the it's day? Uh, it's it's ten o'clock Eastern time on February the fourteenth. And you can register here by clicking on a button on their website, navigating the bizarre punctuation. Look at all the there. good things we're doing for other bits of the business. I mean, can you think of a better way to kick off Valentine's Day? <laughs> <laughs> Then talking about energy efficiency in telco networks with Ruth and me. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what, very... what more could you want? Whisper sweet smart Nick nothings in my ear. Um, cool. Okay. Well, that's yeah, well, I mean, I'll obviously be there with popcorn and beer. Um, but no, I mean, you know, it is interesting. I, I'm sort of more grateful than ever that Ian's on this chat with you because you get a lot more change out of him. From me, you're just going to get stupid comments about colons and that sort of thing. But um, but I think... Uh, you're not a programmer, are you? Because otherwise right. that actually would have been kind of obvious to you. You know, certain places, if, you, if, you're, if you're writing a C program, there's certain oh, is places it? That's, you use that's like, a colon and a that's what, colon. That's, so that was the answer to my facetious question. You've never dabbled in coding. Python or anything? No, not, not no. in that way. <laughs> Um, Maybe that should be, you know, the the tangent for next week's podcast. Dabbles in Python. Maybe every week you should do like 10 minutes on programming 101. Yeah. Um, Okay, cool. So are there any other things before we move on to like talking about some of the news this week? Any other things that you wanted to mention about Napatech or or indeed yourself? Um, So in terms of Napatech, um, obviously... MWC is, is coming up, mm-hmm. and this year is going to be super exciting for us because in the recent MWCs, most of what we've been doing is talking about ourselves, ourselves and you know our products and our technologies. But this time, we're going to be talking about how other companies are leveraging our technologies to make their products better. And I think that's a really important step sort of in the evolution of any sort of strategy or, yeah. or initiative um, is when you can really talk about, okay, here's the business benefits that other companies are actually seeing because of what we're doing. So that's just kind of a plug for, you know, if any of your listeners are at MWC, um, you know, stop by and see Napatech in, in, in Hall 7. And um, actually what we'll do there is we'll give you a pointer to all the other places in the show where you can come see companies who are um, promoting their solutions and how we help to make their solutions better. So, um, And hey, for myself, let's see, there's MWC, then I'm going to spend March um, basically coordinating all of our follow-up to MWC, and then I'm going to hit the trail. Right. Oh, how long do you expect all that to take? So um, assuming that... find a beer here, mate, and they're all, they're all lethal. Well, we've drunk the non-lethal ones. Yeah. So you, you have to move, started with move on ones. and up, Scott. Come on. God damn. Sorry, so how long, how long, 7%, that's one of the weaker ones I've found so far. How long are you going to spend walking yeah, the trail? You, so, if, so, kill yourself. so if things go well, and I don't kill myself or blow out my knee on day two, um, so I have 1,635 miles to go, and I'm not in a big hurry. So it could easily take four months, five months. Um, I, you know, I have to be off the trail. Do you like... Yeah. So it's not like you're staying in B&Bs or whatever. There aren't any. What do you no. do for food? 
You have to take so, it. You have to hump bears. Okay, so question, I'm going to take these questions in order. <laughs> this, and uh, this is the stuff I really like to talk about, right? Never mind this, never mind this data plane, FPG, telecom. Stuff. You know, this is this is really what I know. So yes, you can. Basically, what you do is everything that you need to survive, you carry on your wow. back. So I have a lightweight tent. It's actually a two-person tent, not because I'm planning on sharing it with anybody, but yeah. because that way, get lucky. that way there's room for me down one side and my backpack on the other. I don't mm. have to leave my backpack outside. Yeah. Um, but yeah, right. so, so you, sense. you carry a tent with you and um, you get really good at setting up your tent in the middle of a thunderstorm and Shit. taking down your tent within in the middle of a thunderstorm without everything being soaking wet. Um, then Pierre it's was asking about daunting food. this man. Yeah. Are is. you slightly shitting yourself at the prospect? Um, not as much as I was before. I was he's prepared. Yeah. He's, he's, he's last it. time I was, I found a lot of it very scary because I'd never done anything like this right. before. So now you, it's and a bit more of a known quantity. Now I know what to expect, and I remember some of what I learned last time, and um, I kind of I, I know what to expect. Yeah. More. And, and in terms of like pacing yourself and that sort of thing, you probably picked up a thing or two as well. Yeah, I mean, I know I'm think I'm smart enough not to go too fast right at the beginning and, and break something. So if I can average over the whole time, if I could average 18 miles a day when I'm on the trail, I'd be which that's a lot. Happy. Which is how many hours walking? It depends where you are on the trail. It, yeah, in parts of the trail are just like super flat. You can probably average like two and a half miles an hour on the AT. Right. There are other places where you're going to so do like four, three miles a day. Hour, 14 hours? Yeah. yeah. I mean, my usual pattern is get up early enough that I'm on the trail as the sun is coming up, you know, and use that kind of twilight time before the sun is fully up. That's when I break down my tent and get everything set. So I want to be hitting the trail at first light. Um, and then usually, you know, Try to figure out where I'm going to camp and be there in time to set up my tent and everything before it gets dark. Because otherwise, that's just really, and, really unpleasant. Yeah, yeah. He has an answer about the food question. Yeah, yeah, Oh yeah, food. Yeah. So um, most of the for most of the trail, every couple days, maybe every three days, you're going to cross a road and you can then hitchhike to a town to resupply on food. Mm. So. Typically, I mean, like my backpack, the way it's loaded right now that I've been using for training, I'm carrying um, five days of food, meaning hopefully four days of travel and then one um, emergency mm. day. What food do you take? Um, so I, I can't cook. Protein the, the only thing that I know how to cook is my wife taught me how to cook ramen noodles, and that's the only thing I know how to cook. So what I take is... You literally is, can't cook anything else. No, nothing else. So during the day, I'll have... Um, Cliff bars. You have you yeah. have those here? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I have four of those during the day. Which flavor? Yeah. Um basically whatever I can get yeah. in, in a town. And some of those little towns there's not much variety. I don't I mind can, the peanut one. That's pretty good. I don't like the peanut ones. No. I like the, oh. the various chocolate ones. There's a, there's like a white chocolatey one that I, mm. I especially like, but you can't always get anyway. That, I've never had one. I think Jack Reacher eats them in the in the in the T V series. But I, I like uh, them. I mean they're it's, they're kind of shape. they're kinda like um Cardboard with energy, right? Yeah. You know, but they're pretty good. So I'll have four of those during the day and one Kit Kat as a treat. And then at night, um, you know how you can get that kind of salmon in a bag stuff? I don't know if you get that here, but we get it in the U.S. It's like a little pouch, mm. a foil pouch right. with salmon in it. That's really, really good. So I kind of have that as my, quote, appetizer. And then, uh, it? No. Oh, no. just raw it's, salmon. It's, it's like cold. smoked salmon yeah. type stuff. And yeah. do you just eat it raw? Yeah. You've had salmon. 
I mean, I would crave well, some. I mean, it, I've okay, had raw sushi. Well, actually, I have had sushi, sushi in it. Yeah, okay. yeah. It was cooked before it went in the bag. Well, that's but what I'm I meant. not cooking it. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so yeah. It, it's not raw. No, it's no, cooked. Yeah. Right, right. I eat it with my spoon, and I have one spoon. And then, um, then at night, I'll cook uh, my ramen noodles in my little. Okay, that's little your one pot. culinary effort. Yeah, and that's really nice. It's also a good way to warm up because I can put my hands around the, the stove while it's cooking. You know. Yeah. Once you get north, what time of year? So you're doing this in, so, in, starting in April. Okay, in, so, and I, and I will so be. Summer. I will. I'm. I'm going to get on the trail in Virginia at the point where I limped off last time. I see. Uh, I'll actually be about three There's weeks ahead. A bit of closure of last time. Yeah, closure. I'm going to look up. My next question was: Do you need a gun for like animals and stuff? No. Is there any animals there? Yeah, yeah bears. Bears. There's bears. Rattlesnakes. So rats. You don't mice. want to carry a gun for no. bears? No. No, I don't want to get in an argument with a bear. Um, you know. Yeah, you don't shoot them. You just make them angry. So, so there's, 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 there's really only a couple of things that you, you have to worry about with bears, right? The first is you don't ever want to get between a mother bear and no. her cubs. No, because that's not, not going to end well for you. So you do have to, when you see a bear on the trail, that's the first thing to look for. Okay, is there a baby bear that she's trying to get to? And if there is, you don't want to be there. No. Or you want somebody else to go first. <laughs> um, and get eaten. Yeah. The other thing with a bear is you don't want them getting into your food or eating you. So at night, um, what you do is you take all of your food and anything that has any kind of smell mm. except your clothes, like, you know, toothpaste, um, uh, your toothbrush, you know, anything, that, um, even like medicines, anything that might smell. And you put those into a, a, a bear bag. Mm. And actually what I do is they go into two things. First, I put them into um, a thing called an op sack, which is like a giant um, Ziploc bag, which in theory locks in all the smell. And then that goes in a thing called an ursac, which is a big bag that is made of Kevlar, which is mm. the same stuff that they make bulletproof vests out of. Yeah, yeah. And then what you do is you tie that um, Kevlar bag really tight and you go away from your campsite and then you just tie it up in a tree. Right. So, so the thing then spray. is... You carry bear spray? So the thinking behind that is, firstly, you want to not have a smell that will attract a bear. But if it does attract it, it will go and mess with that bag. Exactly. Not near you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That will make and, sense. And there's actually, and funnily enough, I was just working on this last weekend. I didn't know this last time, but I never got in trouble, fortunately. There's a way that you can knot the, the, the cord from this bag around the tree, such that even if the bear is pulling on it with all their might, they don't make the knot any tighter. Oh, so and, that you can undo it later. Yeah, on. yeah, and and by last Sunday, I knew how to do that knot. Cool. And I'm going to be you you're know, a right little boy again. scout, aren't you? Well, stuff like that is 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 what you learn. And cool. I I just don't want to know what the state of your feet are going to be at the end of it. If I'm honest. Oh, I mean, you've seen like you Carnage. know, you've seen raw meat. Yeah. <laughs> God. I mean, they would. You, don't, you know, you don't Sushi. want to know. Yeah. Fucking hell. But no, there's well, the, fair play to you, mate. But there's uh, little tricks. That we'll you definitely get you back to hear all about it. That'd be um, fun. Yeah. Uh, provided your leg doesn't fall off and you don't get eaten by bears. And yeah. even if you are, tell us about that, actually. About um, being eaten by a bear? Yeah. Okay. Maybe I'll just make a recording. Have you ever seen The Revenant? Yeah. 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 There's that scene where he gets fucked over by a bear. Yeah. I've right. also, I actually, um, I did hear a bear who was happily threatening a bunch of other campers while I was there. Blimey. And this is like in the middle of the night. And I'm lying in my tent going, I could probably get out of my tent take a really cool picture at this point. Or I could just stay where I am and the bear will never know that I was here. Yeah. So, yes, yes. Yeah, I mean. it just occurs to me, this is this is the most Rogan direction we've ever gone in. 
because there's a fairly decent chance if you listen to Joe Rogan that he'll bring up bears and just talk about how awesome they are. He would definitely really? tell you to bring He's some into kind of talking about weapon. bears. Is he, thing. He, he likes talking about like scary nature mm-hmm. on the whole. He likes talking about how psychotic chimps are, how fucking just generally big and dangerous bears are and various other things. Right. So anyway. I, I did see, by the way, to your question, Pierre, I, I did see some people who were carrying bear spray. Um, they told me they didn't actually get to use it very often. Is it heavy? And it's heavy. Oh, okay. I mean, it's it's probably a pound. And an extra pound is a lot, mm. you know, when you know, when you're carrying it for 2,000 miles. But what do you, when do you use it? Do you use it like tear gas or do on, you just... On their face. It's... In, in, in theory, right. when the bear gets really close to you, you use the bear spray. Yeah. Now, first of all, that means you've got to have it somewhere accessible. Yeah. And that's that's a problem. And also, you've got to remember to, to use it. Sure, I, mean... um, I have a bear bell, which is just, you know, something that jangles as you're walking along. So hopefully the bear will hear you and get out of the way. So what you're trying to avoid there is it accidentally bumping into you. Yes, you don't want to surprise it. Are yeah. there different strategies in the different bears? Though, because there's a, some footage that I saw on um, uh, YouTube with uh, such a pro town with uh, in Slovakia actually with some brown bear charging at a guy and he and he just sort of goes ah like that and the bear kind of at the last minute turns away and runs off yeah, in yeah. the direction because you know, the cameraman but, always survives. Well, yeah, I don't know how staged it was, but I mean, it looks like a proper bear yeah. running at this bloke. You know, so it's, it's filming it. Imagine how much you cheat. So it's super interesting um, when you when you read the instructions. Right. Basically, and, and so first of all, there's no grizzly bears on the Appalachian Trail. They're all black bears. Right. Um, so there's one set of instructions that says, oh, yeah, when you see a bear, frighten it. You know, charge at it with your hiking you know poles. You I mean? It's easier said than done, isn't and it? And chase it away. Yeah. There's another set of instructions that says, okay, be really quiet and back away. Start singing. So which is it? Well, I, th- I think you're supposed Maybe to ask the bear. Maybe do both and just freak well, yeah, it out. And just yeah. get, if the bear is not doing anything, mental. be quiet. Yeah. Yeah. If the bear charges at you, yeah. then... If you're quiet, it's not well, going to help. My, my only my only conclusion is you you got to ask the bear when you see it. Hey, excuse me, Mr. Bear. Yeah. You know, Which are you one the are you? Kind, are you easily intimidated, or are you going to run away anyway? You should never go like ah if it's not going towards. Yeah, you. I mean the reality is right. You just see this thing and you're like sketch it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, my, you could always plan. And then... My father-in-law was running to bears a few times up in the up in the mm-hmm. hills, and he just sort of uh, wrestled them. Yeah, that's what you do in Slovakia. Just you wrestle them. No, he just he just sort of basically ignored yeah. them, and they ignored him. He said, "Yeah, but, occasions but, but, that you know, bears are different." So. Yeah. yeah, Slovak brown bears are all right. You yeah, don't have to worry they, about them. I mean, what I did last time, you know, after I froze, right, was I typically just would back away and try to take a picture, and I never got a picture. Right. Yeah, you'd want to get a photo, wouldn't you? Really, in a way. Oh, yeah, but but, but first yeah. I want to back away yes. before I take. Yeah. I don't want to be like as close to the bear as I am to you. Because... No, no, turn your back on it, take a selfie. Oh, there you, you know go. I mean? Yeah, yeah. You imagine like a sequence of selfies of this bear getting closer and closer, head coming over your shoulder, and then it cuts. Uh, okay, right. Well, on that note. Um, What's been going on this week, Ian? I think the big news this week has been quarterlies. We, I mean, we don't cover a lot of quarterlies, but we always cover um, Nokia and Ericsson's. I don't know if they always did it, but they're rather conveniently having them in the same week at the moment. Which, they do normally. They are normally close together. There have been times when they've been on the same day. Right. Not very often, but there was a time last year, I think, or the year before, for some reason, they did that. Um, so I'm going to. Um, I'm going to read. I, I actually, this is a rare time where you and I have both written about it. Mm. Um, and obviously, Charlie, you know, you, you, you pipe up as you see fit. Uh, not right now, because you just <laughs> stuff some chocolates in your face. Can we have a competition and who did it better? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I don't really compete with Ian, um, partly because he knows more about telecoms than I do, and partly because he does also have more like capacity to write in depth than I do. 
But that's not that's just an excuse. He is he does better stories than I do at the end of. But anyway, I do all right. I fucking hold my own. Yeah. Um uh so my headline for Ericsson's, which was at the start of this week, was Ericsson laments quote unsustainably low quote close quote um operator investment levels. And so this was a quote from um Boyer Eckholm, um the CEO in his quarterly comments. See, this, is, this is one area in which where Ian does a better job than I do because he actually listens in on their first thing in the morning calls where I can't be asked. So I just go with their canned quotes from their press release. The weird thing this time was um, you, you get set up for, with your sort of 15, 20 minutes with uh, a, an exec, for, you know, which is always usually Frederick Yedling, who's the head of the networks business. So he's pretty much... Aside from the CFO and the CEO, the top person in yeah. the company. And it's always normally at 10 o'clock, but this time around it was at three in the yeah, afternoon. Yeah, so I didn't bother. Well, I think it's because he's in the US. I think that's why they did it at that time. I see. He's on a trip to the US, probably to do with the big thing they've just done, obviously, in the US. But The AT&T thing? Well, I'm, I didn't, he didn't say that on the call, but you sort of speculate that's possibly why he's there, because he's obviously got a lot of work going well, actually, on. Actually, we, we should mention um, Vonage in, in this as well. Yeah. That was another Ericsson story this week. Yeah. Um, and yeah, least, and then, and then one of the interesting things I don't think what the reason for him going was actually spelled out in a lot of the coverage. Okay, well we'll come to that. Yeah. I think I think it's because he was um, intimidated by Michael Corleone right. into leaving. Um, we think we think Rory Reid, uh, who once was once um, CEO of AMD, by the way, mm-hmm. he was. Um, looks like Mo Green out of The Godfather. So that's yeah. what that Michael yeah, Corleone that. reference was. Yeah. Um, anyway, let me just quickly mention why I put that in quotes in my headline. Um, he goes, this part of the quote from Boyer Eckholm, and this is just from his canned quotes with the, with the press release. Underlying demand from growing data traffic and 5G only being in the early stages of build-out will require additional network investments. In our view, the current investment le- levels are unsustainably low for many operators. We are therefore confident that market recovery should materialise. Yeah. yeah just, to, just to interrupt, because yeah. it, it was pretty much exactly the same comment by Pekka Lundmark on his call in the morning with uh, reporters. Yeah, he was they, a bit more both... specific about timing. They, they think they think second half of this year it might things might pick up, at least in the non-mobile That's side. That's non-mobile. Yeah, though. yeah. But, the, I mean, obviously Echo's talking about mobile because yes, that's all they're in. And, and, they and, and, and um, Lundmark was talking about mobile when he said that. He's like, right. well, the, it's not a good year this year for mobile, really, and for lots of so reasons. So is an interesting so. one, and, and this is th- something that, that maybe you, you'll feel inclined to comment on as well, Charlie, is... I, I wrote in my in my subsequent paragraph about that quote from him. I said there are a couple of major assumptions supporting his his stated confidence in market recovery, and I won't keep I won't keep reading myself, but I'll just paraphrase. Basically, that that growing data draft traffic will require more investment, and that and that to get the best out of five G will require more investment. And I just I just made the point that the growing data traffic could, I mean, it requires some investment, but it could be fairly small. I think he's right. Yeah, but I, the thing that the problem I have with it, I mean, for a start, when they first came out with that message, by the way, both he and Pekka Lundmark was, I think, early last year. It was sort of Q one, Q two time this this time last year when, sorry, Q one, Q two last year when yeah. they, when they both said a similar thing, and the guidance then was that things were going to start picking up in late twenty twenty three. Now it's now it's twenty twenty four, and they're still and they're the talking about the it being a difficult year. Yeah, so clearly networks are coping better with this traffic load than well that was that was kind of my point as well yeah and i think the other thing that i'd say about it is i don't think it's a very good message in a way because it's almost like saying 
it's just not a very positive message, is it? It's like, you can't cope, you need to spend more money. I mean, what yeah. operators really want is to see all this IG growth, yeah. driving added value and bringing revenue growth. And, you know, and the reason they're not investing, obviously, one of the reasons they're not investing is because their sales aren't going up. Yeah. yeah? They're not, so they they're not, it's the not a growth business anymore. And this, 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 this service revenue growth that was talked about with 5G at first, obviously, that it's going to open up new yeah. which hasn't come. It hasn't happened. And yeah. it'd be a much better thing for, for Ericsson and Nokia to be able to say, well, they need to invest because they're not going to be able to do some of this WYSI XR AR stuff and make money in the future than to say, you're going to be in trouble if you don't spend money with us, yeah. which is basically what they're saying. That was kind of how I started my story off, actually, because I think it's a bit of a negative message, really. I th- but- yeah, I agree. What do you reckon, Charlie? It's been really interesting. I, I read a number of, I'm sure you read them too, a number of reports recently that the uh, the growth rate for network data traffic is actually declining. Yeah. So traffic right. is still growing, but, not but it's quickly. not growing anywhere near as fast as it was a few yeah. years ago. This is not like 30, 40% That's growth anymore. Yeah. Um, obviously, there was a spike around you know, the pandemic that kind of skewed everything. And it's and it's not on broadband as well, Charlie, because if you look at OpenReach's figures that came out, which my colleague Teresa wrote about, the they've, they've done some weird things where they couldn't quite figure out the amount that was coming from FTTP, which seems a bit odd to me. Then they've added that in, mm-hmm. and it makes the growth look a lot lower yeah. last year than the, than the sort of yeah. once they sort of adjust the previous year's numbers it's yeah. not actually a big increase it's right. quite small right so yeah well, i just looked i just looked just to um this is to your point charlie i just googled that and saw a um ericsson report part of their mobility report relatively recently and they've got a chart which you know which confirms what you were saying you know yeah. in, in about 2019 it was really growing rapidly and the rate it's only steadily declining but but very much the ever since the peak in 2019, it has been the yeah, rate of yeah, yeah. growth has been declining. Exactly. And the other thing I think that people in our industry tend to ignore because, you know, mobile is sexy, right? Um, most of the data is not mobile data. Most of it is on, is on fixed yeah. networks and people are consuming it through so like, Wi-Fi. Like yeah. Netflix and shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And pe- people are consuming it through through Wi-Fi, yeah. whether even in an enterprise um, scenario or or a consumer scenario. We've yeah. we've made that point loads of times on the pod when when people argue. You know, I think this comes up quite a lot. For example, in the context of this um, fair contribution debate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and people argue that you know um, Netflix et al are causing all this data traffic, so they should chip in for the cost of of it being uh, of it being um, transmitted yeah, right, over networks. Right, right. But the point is, how you know, most people watch Netflix on their telly at home mm-hmm. through, well, through fixed lines. The other thing is, I'd really like to that point. I'd really like to see a chart like that done for uh, markets that exclude India and uh, parts yeah. of Africa. Yeah. And I bet, in, I bet India is a classic case where data traffic gro- growth is going up oh, exponentially, sure. still sure. potentially on mobile networks because people don't have, they probably don't have Wi-Fi. And everything's on. And this is one of the reasons I think, obviously, that the five G rollouts happened so quickly in India because they have needed to do that mm-hmm. because they don't have these uh, fixed line networks yeah, that yeah. people are using in the West. But if you take out markets like that, and that's a massive market with one point four billion, it's most populated country in the world now, isn't it? It's overtaken yeah. China. So um, if you take that out and take out some other um, emerging markets that have similar features, I bet the I bet these charts would look really different. You know, I think that's a really good point. If you ran these charts for North America and Western Europe, they're going to be just yeah, very very different. Yeah, yeah I just tried googling that for US, but I just got something a bit old from Cisco. The, but yeah, the other thing I was just going to mention is I, I don't know why people are so surprised that the industry slowed down last year. I mean, everybody knows that you know the big five G rollouts 
are mostly done. The effects of COVID are mostly over. So surely we shouldn't be expecting big investments in infrastructure until the next refresh cycle. Yeah. And yes, that's going to become before 6G, so we don't need to talk about 6G. But, you know, if you've just rolled out brand new, especially brand new RAN infrastructure everywhere, why do people expect that that CapEx to stay so high for the next few years? In, yeah. other, in other words, yeah. why was last year a surprise? Yeah. I, I don't get that. I think the bigger surprise for, or or at least claimed surprise, is that the total amount of money chucked at 5G hasn't been higher full stop. I mean, you're, you were talking, if I understood you correctly, you were talking slightly in terms of the cycle. And, yeah. you know, you'd expect a lot of the CapEx to be, you know, at the start. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, of course, it's going to tail off. Here we are, like, five years into the cycle. Yeah. But... I, I just get my gut feel is that general feeling is that the total amount of capex chucked at 5G has been a bit disappointing. Well, well, it, it is because if you look at the UK as an example, what's B, BT is now at 70% network coverage. Now it started rolling out in, I think it launched in 2019. Yeah. No, now it's 2024 now. We're quite a few years into the 5G rollout cycle. If you looked at the equivalent stage of them in 4G, they, they were up at 90 odd percent in no time at all. Now, yeah. I know the, the, the one of the issues is using these higher spectrum bands where yeah, coverage. You know, your coverage isn't as good. And, 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 you know, they, I mean, that's a criticism, isn't it? That someone like Ericsson would come out with, there's, there's not enough mid-band equipment rolled out. And obviously, if you're putting it in 3.5 gigahertz and you, you, you're doing it on the same kind of grid, it does seem like you've got some kind of gaps in there that potentially yeah. need addressing. But the, if they can do it on, if they can offload this to Wi-Fi, uh, or if it is being off, or just used on Wi-Fi networks, rather, or the 4G network still has some capacity in it. It's not like th there's no reason to do it other than to but prop up your, you know, to, to, to be able to cope. That's the problem, isn't it? That's the problem with the story is like exactly. you're just coping with yeah. traffic growth. And that's just, I just think it's a really negative. And you can't charge anymore for, for it. Well, and you can't charge right, anymore that, for that's it. That's the key. I mean, so, I mean. There never has been a consumer use case for 5G that no. is compelling, right, other than fixed wireless access. Oh, we're, VR, we're, mate. Everyone's going to walk around with VR headsets on. And oh, yeah, and, and connected over mobile. Yeah. They're walking down the mean? street doing exactly. their VR rather Duh. than sitting at home gaming. Yeah, right. Such an obvious use case. <laughs> right. So, I mean, and, and yeah, fixed wireless access, that's that's the yeah. main consumer. And actually, by the way, I think that's also a very compelling enterprise use case for people that want um, uh, redundancy yeah. in their backhaul. That's, been, right? the one, seeing a lot that's of that. been the one winner so yeah. far, isn't it? And then I think what, you know, what we're seeing, and again, this shouldn't be a surprise, right? We're seeing a transition where, you know, all of the all of the CapEx and all of the, the new rollouts, first of all, it was in RAN because we had to get the 5G RAN out there. And now it's starting to be 5G core and especially standalone, right? Yeah. So those new core deployments are happening, which, by the way, is great for us because, you know, then we can we can slot our, our solutions into those. Yeah. Um, but it seems to me that the whole industry should have sort of anticipated that this is the way things were going to go. Mm. Well, I think there was quite a lot of wishful thinking. Yeah. I think part of it, you know, even though we're only on the fifth generation, I think there are certain assumptions uh, about precedent set in previous cycles and, and the assumption that those were going to be exist in perpetuity in a cyclical way. Whereas, you know, we all know what the USP of 4G was, which is it was mobile broadband done mm -hmm. properly. Mm -hmm. And then 3G, you know, 3G was overblown. It's well, certainly over, overpaid for. I, I think 3G was the one that was genuinely, to me, the, the, the two that were most revolutionary were 
I mean, in a way, it's 1G, actually, but 2G was was the, the mass yeah. market side of it right. because it was a mobile phone. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then it was the internet on your right. phone. Right. Now, okay, 3G was... Some people say 4G should actually be 3G because it just sort of corrected. It was really 3G yeah. done right. If you yeah. talk to Ian yeah. Scales at Telecom TV, mm -hmm. his, his idea is that 4G really is 3G. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I've, I've heard him and say that. And there's a generalisation that... that the, yeah. Microsoft would have called it 3.1. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, so all 5G is, it's not really... Once you've got to the point of putting uh, data on a mobile network, there's not anything beyond data. It's not like anything exists in, in addition to data that you right. can put on a mobile network. All you can do is make it faster or more energy efficient right. or right. lower latency, it's, but it's not... Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's a cost reduction for the carriers, right? Because now their infrastructure is more efficient, especially on the RAN side. Okay, they can support more traffic with fewer cell sites than what they could with 4G. So, and it has a lot of benefit there. And I think everybody always knew that, but everybody expected there was going to be this like, quote, killer app. Yeah. Right? There was going to be like Uber for yeah. 5G, which was going to drive consumer adoption. The reality is most consumers, yeah, they may have 5G on their phones, but they don't care. They don't care. care. What do you yeah. need? I mean, you can, unless you're downloading a really large file, 4G is just fine. Yeah. I think this quite scary moment for the industry, though, for the big equipment it guys is. like Ericsson and Nokia, because they're thinking about, I mean, we're now in 2024. People are talking about this 10-year replacement cycle. Now, there's no reason for the operators to have to do that. Yeah, no, right. no, operators don't aren't bound to a 10-year replacement cycle if they don't have to be. You know, they'll, they'll quite happily sweat assets and they just want to make money. Yeah. But the equipment vendors want the 10-year replacement cycle because that's when they make, that's yeah. when the money gets spent. And at the moment, we're looking at this 6G standard coming along that people are talking about. And it's, yeah, it's still a few years away. But if it's if it's 10 years, it should be 2028, 2029, 2030 that we're starting to see, you know, some kind of yeah. concrete sign of it. And, and all I'm ever hearing when, I mean, Scott and I went to a really good session at the University of yeah. Surrey last year. And a lot of the messages there were about were not really that 6G was going to be any great radical no. thing. It was more about sensing, which is, I find, quite hard to see that as a mass market thing. And then use yeah, of centimetre like wave IoT spectrum. on steroids. Sort yeah, of it thing. was IoT on steroids and, and use of centimetre wave, which, again, you've, then you've got all these problems of you'd have to put in so many base stations yeah. for it to be very useful. And nobody's really coming up with um, any new vision for it. And I, I don't... I don't blame them because, as I say, once you've put a network, once it carries voice and data traffic, all you can really do is make it better. Mm -hmm. There's not anything. It's not like you're, you know, I mean, some of these outlandish use cases that have been talked about in the past were, quite frankly, ridiculous. This Internet of Senses notion where you could yeah. have an experience. It's almost like teleporting yourself right. where you can feel like you're in Barcelona and taste something, yeah. taste tapas over a connection. I think yeah. all of that was, yeah. frankly, that's getting outside the realm of, what networks do into into something else entirely, but if if they don't come along with um, a revolutionary thing, and they probably won't, it's probably going to be a, a modification, which essentially is what five G's been. There won't be this great wave of spending, and also you talk to the operators themselves. I talked to Howard Watson at BT a few times about this. You know, do you think six G is going to be? Are you, are you looking forward to that as a big, you know, yeah. next big equipment? He's like, no way, we're not yeah. doing that again. They yeah. don't want to go and spend right. a load of money on, right. on on base station changeovers if they don't have to. Yeah. And if they can do stuff with software, they will. I mean, so, I mean, the whole process is kind of backwards, isn't it? I mean, ideally, somebody would figure out what are the great new experiences that everybody is going to want 
and pay for yeah. in the future. And then based on what those experiences are going to be, okay, then you figure out what kind of network widgets and yeah. technology do you need in order to enable those experiences. You know, seems like 5G was, if, you know, if we build it, they will come. Well, yeah. guess what? They didn't. And that's the real dilemma, isn't it? I mean, it could be a failure of my own imagination, but I'm just trying to think what, from connectivity, you know, what pain points there are, what's missing from my life that connectivity could solve. And again, it is, you know, sometimes you don't know. I think Steve Jobs is famous for saying people don't know what they fucking yeah, want. Yeah. You just you just come out with it and suddenly they want it. So so obviously my, my limited imagination or, or capacity to think abstractly about what might come in the future is, is obviously you know, limits what I can say on the matter. But also, as a telecoms journalist, I don't think anyone's ever pitched something to me where but, I think, yeah, yeah, that's the one. But that's what I need in my life. Connectivity is only ever going to be connectivity. That's the, yes. that's yeah. the problem. Right. It's like we can only do so many things with connectivity. You know, you hadn't got the internet on a mobile phone. You had it on broadband yeah. before 3G came along. Once that problem's solved... There's not a new thing you can put on it and make it capable of. So they're you always can just make it faster and better and more energy efficient. I mean, most so, of most of the pitches that that we've got over the five G era has been this ubiquitous connectivity, like I, again IoT on steroids, everything being connected and that somehow enabling things. And there are certain B two B applications to do with efficiencies and mm -hmm. and transport and logistics and agriculture and that sort of thing, where where you can see that this 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 um, everything being connected enables a hell of you know really good remote monitoring and efficiencies and all that sort of thing. Yeah. But for consumers, yeah. You know, I mean, there's the old cliche like CES. We just had at the at the start of the year. In fact, I was chatting to someone. Um, I, I won't mention his name because it was just a chat between us. But he'd just been to CES and he was very underwhelmed by what went on there. But typically, you'll get things like connected fridges. That was always a cliche. Yeah. You get a fucking LG connected yeah. fri connected fridge. But uh, but the, the reason the connected fridge is so laughable is because it always felt like a reach, a bit like people banging on about VR. It's like it's not really a pain point. I'm not thinking I wish my fridge like had a hop line to Sainsbury's but the, and could order a bottle of milk before I know that's one it of runs the problems. Out. I think there's two problems with the Internet of Things. One is that some of the use cases are outland. You don't need to connect everything, you know, and. Uh, you know, and maybe there is some use for a connected fridge, actually, if it tells you, like, your milk's running out. I don't know. But, you, you know, there's some things that people talk about connecting that don't need to be connected. Yeah. And the other the, the other thing is um, a lot of the technologies that are used to connect these objects are not cellular technologies. There's a lot of uh, Wi-Fi is used for yeah. some of the exactly. Bluetooth is used yeah. for some of this stuff. There's other standards that get yeah. used that are fixed standards right. that get used in the home. So you don't actually need a, a cellular solution, something like NBI2 to right. do some Very of this point. stuff. Yeah. And then the other thing is it's so low ARPU. You know, you've, you've had companies like Sigfox and LoRaWAN's and other, another technology that have driven the cost down so low. Actility. Uh, yeah. yeah, Actility does a lot of sort of LoRaWAN. That's I think right, it's called, yeah. isn't the standard. I haven't written about it for years. I used no, to write no, about right. that They've the got time, a bit quiet. But, but um, they, they, the ARPUs are so low that, that it's not going to move the needle for an operator. And this is one of the reasons I think Vodafone's actually spinning off its IoT business, isn't it? It's got some investment from that, that deal, actually, that we talked about last week with Microsoft. Oh, yeah. Um, one, one aspect of that that maybe got Sorry. a bit underlooked was that Microsoft's going to become a big investor in Vodafone's IoT business. And that's going to be spun off. In, now, I think spinning that off is a really sensible thing for Vodafone to do because... Under Vodafone, it's like 2% of revenues. Yeah. And it probably doesn't have the... It needs to be independent to actually 
um, make a difference, you know, kind of kind of do its own thing, if yeah, you see what I mean, right. and, 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 and have that focus and concentration. Within the, the bigger Vodafone, it's just it's just sort of lost, I think, and it's it's never going to kind of do anything. But yeah, they, they it won't move the needle for companies that are used to selling smartphone subscriptions for twenty five dollars no. a month or whatever it might no. be, or more in in America. So, uh, I think I think part of the problem actually goes back to what you said a minute ago, Scott, which is we we, we tend to all think about connectivity, mm. but but really in in the consumer market, what the consumers are thinking about is okay. So what's the experience? Yeah, the connectivity is just what's making that that happen, and and, and the, but we all tend to write about you know the. The, the the bits and bytes right and the and the and the the traffic whereas that's not relevant yep. to the people that are actually paying the bills or yep. maybe increasing their bills i mean i do think there's connected fridges applications that might have a little bit of value like for example i would love it if my fridge knew when the ice machine was leaking <laughs> and yeah. send a signal to my security system yeah wow i would we pay for that yeah probably not much but I'd pay a little mm. bit right um you know, there are there are consumer applications that probably have some value there. Yeah, it's just not necessarily the ones that are thought up by the people who work on connectivity. But I think the problem with, with that is you you pay a bit, but if you start extrapolating it to well, there's lots of other things in my house that could be connected. You, I think there might have been this assumption. This this is a bit like three G. I remember because I used to work for. Um, analysis years ago mm -hmm. and i can probably say this now but i wouldn't have been able to at the time but they went around building all these uh models like showing what 3g revenues would be at telcos and it, the implication was you make all this money from voice look you're going to make all the same money again from data oh yeah right it was yeah. like a doubling of yeah. revenues and this yeah. is one of the reasons why the share prices in telefonica at the time and all this like was so mm. high and of course people only have a limited amount of disposable income they're not yeah. going to they're not going to want to spend 20 quid a month on the fridge and 20 quid a month yeah, on the yeah. stereo system right. and 20 quid a month right. on the wall. There's a household and, pot. There's a household yeah. pot. And, yeah. and you might have, uh, maybe you have a household subscription for connectivity where it groups together a lot of these items and you pay £30 a month for mm. it. But you're not going to pay all this for all these 50 or 60 connected items oh, that you have in your life in the future. And so, so, then you get, so then you get business model challenges, which is the only way you're going to get any money from IoT connected home type stuff is if it's part of a general bundle, probably with your with your um, communication service provider. But then then you've got all these moving parts and all these other stakeholders and you've got to try and work out You've got to make them all work together and yeah. everyone gets their little piece of the pie and it all gets very fucking complicated. But, but see, that's where I think that the, the operators are, are missing a trick because one of the things that they're really good at is billing you. Yeah. Right? And... All of these other little incremental things that we might want to sign up for in, in our homes, it's a real pain to sign up for all of those with the individual third-party vendors, right? Because you've got to go through, you know, setting up all the billing and the credit card deductions, all of that. If there was a way that you could, you could route all of those little payments onto your cell phone bill and you're still only getting one bill a month that's actually yeah. covering a variety of services above connectivity, I think that's where actually yeah. operators could that's bring some value. Yeah. Kind of what I was alluding to, but it's, right. it's it's difficult to pull off. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'll tell you another little example, and then I'm going to just bring it back to the... Yeah, the we haven't actually talked about their, their results. Not much, no, no. At least it was a telecom... At least it was a telecom tangent this time. Yeah. Uh, we weren't talking about bears. Um is I bought um, I bought a Ring doorbell, and this is a company owned by Amazon, and it's doorbells that have a little camera in them, so that you can see 
who's at your door and you know and and if, if you're going to get sophisticated rig it up to an audio system and tell people to fuck off and that sort of thing um i should just have a pre-recorded like misanthropic <laughs> just <laughs> I go can away doing that yeah yeah um and and then and then so you pay you pay like the the upfront cost of of the device itself but then there's a, a subscription and the purpose of the subscription is cloud storage of the video for that one in a million time where someone actually tries to break into your house and then you've got video footage of the fuckers caught red-handed. Right. Which, yeah, it's a bit like an insurance policy. You expect mm -hmm. to never use it, but it's costing me something like 35 quid a year. So there's 35 quid I've just given Amazon on top of what I paid for the ring, which is 100-odd quid. Um, but CSPs and, and the whole comms, the whole telecoms industry has been completely sidelined from that yeah. interaction. It's just between me and Amazon. Yeah. And, of course, it involves connectivity, but Wi-Fi. Um, and well, so that's, there's an example. Something happened with with cars, like car companies sort of bundling connectivity in. But you you know they they kind of uh, I don't think there was much kind of it wasn't like consumers were going and getting their connected cars and and spending yeah. money with the operators. It was like an agreement with a a network company, and yeah. maybe they're making less from that than they would if it was like a. It's a very hard to incrementally thing, build yeah. like car people. Like you know, you think about it, you buy a car. It, you were, your brain uh, there was one I think we spoke about on a pod a little while back I think was it BMW that, mm -hmm. it, was that the last one. it was the last one where they had um, heated seats but you had to pay extra to oh. unlock the yeah. the. Right. and you know I just don't think people's heads are, you, maybe could again, a, you could buy it the, as well the worst I'm company for this by the way is Peloton yeah, yeah. I, found well, I think that was the wife, same chat. My wife got me a Peloton bike for, for my 50th <laughs> birthday. It's a very generous present. It's actually a second-hand one, but it's in tip-top condition. The guy bought it and never used yeah. it. It's been wrapped up. And, <laughs> but it's like... You, Sounds like something you buy off me. Yeah, you, you kind of get... I mean, we have used it, but to actually get the real benefits out of it, rather than it just being any old exercise bike, you have to subscribe to their service which you know you get these videos of these incredibly fit women so yeah. they go, come on you can get up this hill and it right. kind of you know you're more inclined to do it then yeah. but it's 40 pounds a month and then your right. your shoe, standard shoes that you might use to go cycling don't fit on the pedals because the pedals are so thin that they'll just right. keep slipping off right. and you have to get ones that clip in and it's a it's a specified you subscribe it's not like to a, those too or do you buy them you have to buy those but yeah. they're they're um it's not like there's any but, old company that does these things yeah. that clip in it's peloton no, shoes and they're 150 quid so it's it's Sounds like, like a um, print money. You could probably yeah. second. You could probably buy second head pegs and screw them. You in. can buy second hand. I mean, my wife's already. She's used it more than I have actually. I've, I've not really used it very much because oh, well I haven't got any shoes. It was one of those. It's like Homer Simpson's bowling ball with his name on it that he bought his wife for a, a gift, didn't he? And it had his name on it, and she doesn't, right. she doesn't go bowling. It's yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think Magda was thinking. I actually quite like the idea. It'd be like me buying my wife a Metallica T-shirt for Christmas. If she watches yeah. this, I'm going to be in big trouble now. Actually, this episode. Oh shit! Needs definitely not to get watched by my. Wife. Well, don't fall for what happened, what I did over Christmas, which was thinking our kids will never watch it, and then playing on the preview where Pierre. That was your fault. No, it was my fault. Yeah. But no, it is. Got, but is. what I'm saying is, look, watch Pierre's trailer before you. Yeah, no, it. I, it's, it's a brilliant um, gift. I just need to actually get the shoes because I think you don't need to subscribe to the the forty pounds a month thing. You can just mm. you can just use it and do your own thing on it. But um, so so bringing it back, yeah. the reason we went that's still well, tech related. Yeah, no, it's fine. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just, I'm just, in, I'm just injecting what tiny bit of conversational discipline yeah. that that I do. Um, so basically, you know, just to remind people of what we said fucking half an hour ago, um, Boya Adcombe went. We think current investment levels are unsustainably low, and I think what the three of us have got through saying is that we're not sure that he's right. Yeah. On that, 
Um, and it feels like a bit of a reach, feels yeah. like a bit of a Hail Mary sort of thing. It's just an incredibly negative message, I think, as well. Yeah. And, and, and Nokia's CEO came out with it as well. They've got, he's got exactly the same comment to make about that bit of their business. And they've obviously got other activities as well. Yeah, so here's a quote but, from um, Pekka Lundmark. Again, this is just from the press release, not from the... Um, from the Q&A, the, the sort of briefing. Yeah, um, that's 6.30 in the morning. You don't want to be on yeah, that, really. That's, that's just not, I don't do 6.30 in the morning. Um, I think goes, two people ask questions on it. Yeah? Yeah. It's just you and... Well, this time around, it was me and uh, who I saw last night, Yasmin, at the FT. Oh, was she out she last night, was she? I don't think she I checked. She was out last night. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so, um, Pekka goes... Looking ahead, we're expecting the challenging blah, challenging environment of 2023 to continue during the first half of 24, particularly in the first quarter. However, and I think you went with this on your headline, we're now starting to see some green shoots yeah, on the horizon. Yeah. Um, with improving order intake for network infrastructure. And network infrastructure is their fixed line, isn't it? Network infrastructure is IP, optical, fixed and submarine. Yeah, I'll do. fixed will do for me. Um, well, yeah, but... Yeah, it is fixed, really, I suppose. But it's yeah. like a bit different bits of Stop the... Stop being the, fucking pedantic. The next work. Um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, and then he goes, this is expected to drive strong improvement in network infrastructure, i.e. fixed. Net <laughs> um, sales growth in the second half of 24, which we believe, even with challenging first half, will drive solid growth. So he's basically saying, second half of the year will be rescued by the network infrastructure bit. And then he goes, in mobile networks, we expect top-line challenges in 2024 related to more normalised pace of investment in India and the AT&T decision, which you alluded to earlier, yeah. where, where they went they went all in with so Ericsson. So people don't know what that, what that is. On, Basically, yeah. um, Ericsson took a decision last year. They have, Eric, they have AT&T took this move. They have Ericsson across two-thirds of their radio access network and Nokia across one-third, and they've basically sort of gone all in on Ericsson. So the Nokia stuff is coming out and Ericsson's going in, and it's very much been pitched as an open RAN deal, like the equipment will be open RAN compliant, and there were a few other vendors named in there, but essentially it's, you know, I mean, I think actually people have gone very... Um, easy on them on this front that it's not really a, a, a yeah. kind of diversity move in terms of bringing more vendors into it it's very much a kind of single source deal but no well i think your initial um, analysis on it was excellent and we did speak about it in that pod this was in early december i think yeah it also happens to be which is the other counterintuitive thing if this is a move towards open ran and diversity it happens to be which i didn't realize until i spoke to frederick yedling this week their biggest deal ericsson's ever done single deal yeah right and, and obviously, conversely, bad news for Nokia. I'll tell you one interesting thing, and I think um, I think it was Mike Dano at Light Reading who I first saw take this angle, but then we wrote it up and Mary wrote a story which headlined AT&T Outlook Hit by Ericsson Open Rand Deal. Mm-hmm. Um, that, um, that, yeah, it's, what was, what was her, her um, subhead? AT&T is talking about the growth it recorded in customer numbers, but that's tempered by a dip in profits that will continue into this year on the back of that much-hyped Ericsson Open Rand deal. Well, that, so that, that's not a surprise. I mean, we we wrote about this when the deal yeah. happened because, and it was very clear, I did an interview with, I actually got a one-on-one with Pekka Lundmark when that oh, right. happened, and he said they're taking out Nokia equipment that hasn't fully depreciated. Yeah. Right, that's, so, that's, yeah. that's so, the profit and, that, and that's the profit hit. Now, the, there's a suspicion in the industry um, among some people that actually 
Ericsson's bearing a lot of the cost of this as well. I bet they are. Because, yeah, and, and I think Earl Lum, who, who's a, an analyst who sort of takes apart base stations and looks at things and comes from a chip background originally, but he was the first person who got wind of them taking uh, Nokia out of the network before they'd announced the Ericsson deal. I see. Which Mike covered. I think Mike got the sort of scoop on it. Yes. It was, it was through Earl Lum. But he put a LinkedIn post up saying that there's vendor financing attached to this yeah. uh, Ericsson mm -hmm. move. And, you know, they they're... they're they have to take out this Nokia equipment. They're putting this stuff in. I think Eric AT&T itself has said that one of the reasons for doing it um, is is financial. I mean, that yeah, was Stanky. They were, they were Stanky up front doesn't about care it. about Open RAN, let's be honest, right? No. John Stanky doesn't give a shit about Open RAN because <laughs> CEOs don't, oh, really. Yeah. Why would they? The CTOs will, and they'll go to him and they'll say, this is the reason why you should care about Open RAN and we can do this and that, this and that with it. And he'll go, yeah, 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 that's all very good, but how much are we spending? How much are we spending? Does it work? Yeah. Is our network going to be What's even the better potential with ROI? Blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. But the it's financially driven. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced. Yeah. So, so, so that was an interesting thing, and I think the vendor financing is is, is very likely. And it's funny because that's one of the things that sometimes people would be a bit critical of um, some of Huawei's business tactics in the past because they they're apparently very generous with their yeah. vendor financing. And you know, is it? Is it a bit sneaky and out of order when Huawei does it, but all right when Ericsson does it? I do the thing with that, it. with the thing with Huawei doing it, is that you never, you could never really tell anyway because they're they're not transparent in their financial no, publications. Yeah, that's true. You know, and 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 they're spending twenty two billion a year on R and D, and yet the sales are going down. And it's like, what's going on here? How, where's all this coming from? And, and well, probably the Chinese state. You know, that's the suspicion, yeah. isn't it? But the with Ericsson, I think the the thing is they can't really hide it. You know, they're bound to accounting rules in the West and. That they they have to sort of show this stuff. So if, yeah. they, if there is vendor financing attached, or it's got to so up. I did ask. Yeah. I did. I mean, I was I wasn't really expecting to get an answer to it, but I did ask when I spoke to Frederick Yedling, what's the sort of margin impact of this deal? And you know, because they often say anyway, when deals are first done, they're not very high margin. In that bit, when you go in and actually start put doing a lot of the work, right. you take a bit of a hit, and then it's later on when capacity starts getting added. The thing that they're hoping is going to be you know, that should margin. be happening now that isn't happening, that's when it becomes a higher margin thing, when it's more about software upgrades and that, this sort of stuff. Yeah. But he, he was like, well, I can't talk about the margin impact of a specific deal, obviously. But we did compete quite aggressively for the, you yeah. know, for the, for the deal, I think he said. It was tough competition that we, you know, so... Yeah, uh, and it was yeah, definitely... They can't hide it. They definitely know. thought of it as a big PR win. I don't know if you remember, but... When when it came out, I went and had uh, lunch with Ericsson that yeah. day, and you were able to make it. But um, I chatted to a few people, and I showed them your story. And there was a slight sort of bit of eyeball rolling, where going, oh, trust Ian to find a shitty angle on it. <laughs> and I was like, well, it's not necessarily a shitty angle. I mean, what that said to me, because I don't think I don't think you ever write stuff with any bias. You just write what you see. Yeah. I mean, that's what all good journalists should do. And if what you see is something shitty, then you write it up that way. But if it's good, you write it up. It's good. I think what that said was that they they felt like you were pissing on their chips a little bit. I mean, I don't I don't see it as an overall negative for for no, Ericsson. But I it's think just are, not quite the unalloyed no, home think, run that think, they made it out to be. I mean, clearly they've got bigger market share now in North America than they've had. They've they've um, made things extremely awkward for Nokia in terms of what oh, it's yeah. doing for them, which is their number one rival uh, these days. Yeah not really Huawei anymore is it because they're not in the same markets a lot of the, a lot of the time you know it's it's a, it's a you know in lots of ways and if they're not taking as big a hit as some people suspect then you know it could it could work out well but um I just think the way it's been dressed up as a as an open RAN deal is one of the things I have a bit of a problem yeah. with I mean you can for sure you can 
you can justify it being an open RAN deal on the basis that all the specs are going to be based on ORAN Alliance, um, you know, specifications and, and it's fully compliant. But of all the equipment that's still coming yeah, yeah. from one vendor. Oh, yeah. And, all right, there's a bit of Fujitsu yeah. running. I mean, why I mean, not throw some more buzzwords in and say it's an AI deal and a fucking Well, well one thing whatever. that's become very clear, actually, is when the first state and, uh, and news went out, uh, um, there was oh, this Intel and Dell are involved, and you kind of thought, so Open RAN gets conflated with Cloud RAN, right. and and, it, and a cloud, cloud sort of gets seen as this sort of sub-bit of Open RAN. And, uh, and I get that. I can see why, because, yeah, you know, there, there is a notion that with virtualization, things are more open. Um, but it's very clear that the, the initially, at first, this isn't a cloud run deal at all. It's purpose-built equipment. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's 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 Ericsson Asics, what yeah. we were talking about earlier, that are, be, that are being provided. There's a component of it that will be... Um, so they use slightly things, they use slightly slippery language like compliant and that sort of thing. Compliant, it's not yeah. cloud run. Uh, which doesn't mean it's not open round, by the way, but it's yeah. but it's it rules out that some of it's not cloud round, mm -hmm. and and then th this is the other thing, if they do purpose built round for a chunk of it, then that's going to be even slower to move that towards cloud round because for the same reasons that we were talking about earlier, you're not gonna you're not gonna have just pulled out all this Nokia equipment and taken this hit that AT and T's reporting, and then do the same thing two or three years from now with Ericsson stuff that you've just put in that's purpose-built to go to cloud RAN, are you? You're not going to do three or four changes within a space of, of, of eight years. Well, and especially when you're that much closer to what will probably have to be a 6G refresh at some point. Exactly. Right? I mean, we're kind yeah. of in the middle of yeah, the 5G to 6G cycle as far as RAN is concerned. Right, so you can consuming cycles continue as yeah, they have. Yeah, I mean, you can sort of view this as this is maybe like that that intermediate refresh cycle that would happen, you know, yeah. between yeah. G's, but it'd be really hard to squeeze in another one. Yeah. So I've got one. I'm not going to go on to a third topic, by the way, because we we don't we're pretty close to two hours already. I think. Right. Um, and um, and yeah, and there's just a, a, one more thing I want to ask you two about this: the general tone from both Ericsson and Nokia stuff was expect this to be a bit of a shit year. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, and I'm just want to. I just want to ask, you know, and then by all means, say what you're about to say. You know, do you think? Do you think that's fair enough? And 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 what what are the um, you know, what what grains of optimism can we cling to in terms of the year being a bit better than these quarterlies and plots well, going to be? So, so from Ericsson's perspective, I suppose the optimism would come from the AT and T deal. They've got one over mm. on their big rival, and that's supposed to apparently start translating into revenues in the second half of the yeah. year. You know, let's have a look at it when that happens. Let's have a look at what's going on with margins and other business. And, you know, who knows? You know, it's 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 a win. It's more market share. I mean, they've clear, they're clearly very, very good at what they do on 5G. Yeah. Um, so there's the optimism for them. Having said that, um, you know, the message is very much about being lean and cost cutting, I think, from both op from both of the vendors. Ericsson, I mean, I, my headline was on this, was... Um, the cost cutting because they cut nine thousand jobs last year. Yeah, and it—I don't think it got very widely noticed. Actually, they did have an announcement early in the year about cutting about eight and a half thousand, and their headline employee numbers that they put in the earnings reports aren't down that much. And they obviously including sort of contractors, I guess, external workforce in that. But on the earnings call, they were talking about we need to go further. We need to rein in some investment areas. I, and then I, I tried to ask Frederick Yedling about this, and he's like, "Oh, it's just." It's just normal activity when things are tough. You know, he wouldn't go into more detail, but the CEO is saying we need to be as lean as possible. We need to mm. go further than these cost cuts that we've already done. And then Nokia's had this announcement very late last year, which is, you know, um, this is even before the AT&T thing, I think, but that they need to cut between 9,000 and 14,000 jobs. Nokia, by the way, 
was 98,000 people back in 2019 is now 86,000 people. If they cut 14,000 more jobs, they'll be on 72,000. Wow. That's 25% of the workforce gone yeah. in seven years because yeah. it's by, by 2026 they're looking to do this. I think the, I mean, the optimism from them is um, outside mobile. So if yeah. you look at the forecast for network infrastructure, you were saying the fixed bit. It, yeah, it's the fixed bit. It's it's for growth. <laughs> it's for growth there, and uh, and I asked Peckle and Mark on on this. Why is that doing better than mobile? And and his answer is very much it's to do with enterprise spending. It's it's, yeah. it's basically uh, hyperscalers investing in sort of data center technologies, mm -hmm. yep. transport, mm -hmm. or the government funding stuff that's going on in the US. Is it mm -hmm. Bead? It's called or something yes, yeah. like that. He said Bede. was was yeah. to do with it. But I think their forecast there is for it's single digit growth. But they're expecting single digit growth in that business. And then the cloud. And, and and software bit is it's there's a, there's a range for of minus two percent to sort of plus four percent or something like yeah. that i think so it's it's flat a little bit better than a little bit better but yeah. the the upside is the technology side of things actually not nokia technologies they've done a load of deals with um a load of handset makers recently mm -hmm. oppo they just yeah. concluded one yeah um they made it's basically pure profit that business because of the way they arranged their different units yeah. all, the, all the funding gets spent by the it's, network units and then they just they just basically sell license you know, I, I once chatted to Nokia and unkindly called it their patent troll division yeah they it's, bristled it's, it's when almost I said pure it. profit and I yeah. think this year last year they made about 700 million in operating profit they're forecasting this year 1.4 so if you look at the different yeah. moving parts the reason things aren't much worse because the forecast for mobile is bad it's down it's not only sales down 10 to 15%, it's an operating margin of 1 to 4%. Yeah. So if you look, the worst case scenario, I calculated the numbers. If you look at what they made last year, you take that down by 15% and then you attach a 1% operating margin. They're, taught, they're looking at something like 100 million in profit down from almost a billion two mm. years ago, mm. that unit. And it's the technologies bit going up by 700 million that's actually offsetting some of that pain. So, so I... I Oh, yeah, Karen. Oh, I, I was just yeah. going to say, and, and back on that Oppo deal, those are recurring payments, right? That's not yeah. that's not just a one-time deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that continues to you know have a positive upside effect. Yeah. Although there was forever. a little blip I, when I was looking at Nokia's numbers, um, their uh, <laughs> their year-on-year -year comparison on the intellectual property side is down, but. It's very different. The way that group runs is very different to the rest of it because, as Ian says, it's you know it's it's pure profit. Yeah, but. The, the, in the year ago quarter, they there was some deal. I don't think they named who it was, but I think it's in Europe with some partner where they just they exercised an option to cash in on the licensing in perpetuity. So you were saying that some of them are uh, are incremental, but you can apparently you can structure it such that you go fuck it, I'm going to have it forever. It's a one time, and then it's a one time, and so then you obviously get a one time big. Yeah. Uplift, right. um, and which means that in the in the year year later it goes down yeah. because it was an exceptional item. It's, but a, it's a buyout, basically, something like yeah. that. So I just want I want to wrap it up, and I want to give the final word to Charlie as our honoured guest. Yeah, so the general vibe from them, and, and you know, this is partly obviously you be the judge of how how much is discreet for you to say in public. But their general vibe is that the the macro environment and the business environment for telecoms is a bit shit at the moment. Mm -hmm. Is that what you're seeing? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, when when we look at last year, I mean, as as I said earlier, I mean, all of the all of the news was large financial losses and you know 
big layoffs and just this, this razor focus on on operational cost reductions, right? I mean, that's what we see in the in the telco yeah. space. Um, now, for us as you know, as as a vendor into that space, that helps to enable a lot of cost reductions. Yeah. To a certain extent, you could say that we benefit yeah. from from some of that focus, and and we do. Um, on the other hand, we also recognize that you know all of the execs in the in the telco space, they're really really focused on things that are not necessarily technology related right, right. now. Like mostly have to do with can they save their jobs? Yeah. Um, so there's there's definitely distractions there. So what what that has meant for us in the telco part of our business, especially around this, this packet core offload, is things are just taking longer to develop with the telcos than we would have expected. Right. Except in India, where we've got some really interesting stuff going on that maybe we can talk about another day. Um, sure. So where we're seeing most of the traction right now is is in enterprises deploying private networks okay. and wanting to either support really high bandwidth applications, you know, like video, um, or just wanting to minimize their overall capex and opex spend on servers, and doing that through the kind of offload that, that we talked about before. Yeah. So you know, we kind of see those two market segments just developing very differently through uh, through twenty four. Okay, cool. Well, I think that's a good note on which to end it. Thanks a lot for that. It's great to have you on at long last. It's and really we'll definitely good. have you back um, after you've tried to kill yourself walking across half of America and fending off bears mm -hmm. and so on. Um, but and, and thanks a lot for the beers. They've been great. In fact, they're, they're yeah, contributing really to my desire to wrap up the podcast because they're so big <laughs> that nature's taking its course. They, they do have an effect that way. Don't yeah, they? yeah. But uh, no, I'm 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 glad you like them. And you know, when you go visit your son in Denver, now you know what yeah. to, what to, what what that's for. I do. <laughs> Fucker, his tennis career by giving him loads of these beers. <laughs> yeah, he's probably had a few already. Cool. All right, mate. Um, so thanks again, Charlie, and uh, thank you for listening, and make sure you join us for the next one. Thank you.